2: Welcome to episode 270 with my guest, Patty H. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Penzu, your personal journal in the cloud. Penzu is where millions of people keep their most private thoughts all locked with a secret password. Go to penzu.com. That's spelled P-E-N-Z-U. Do it now and sign up for a free account. And for extra security and fun customizations, go to penzu.com slash GoPro. Do it on your computer and use the promo code MENTAL for $5 off your PRO or PRO PLUS subscription. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show, uh, as well as the Twitter handle for me is, uh, mentalpod. Um, mentalpod.com is the, is the website. Um, you can, you can fill out surveys there. Maybe we'll read your survey on the show. You can browse the forum. Uh, you could post stuff there. You can read blogs and guest blogs. You can support the show. You could buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug, uh, all kinds of different things. So, uh, please go, please go check that out. Um, Oh, I want to do i – I'm having a perfectionist angst moment. And uh, the this episode with Patty, um, I fiddled with the volume knob when we were recording. And so the, the, the volume kind of goes up and down uh, throughout it. And it's probably not even noticeable to, to the average person. But uh, it, uh, I'm just having anxiety about it. So, <laughs> um, so what I'm doing is I'm giving you a chance to hate me in advance. So you've been warned, you've been prepped, and now send all your negative energy my way. Um, yeah, I think that's... Uh, oh, you know what? I want to share a little something, uh, a little moment of pride that I had. You know, I've talked on, on the podcast before about how I worry that I'm getting older and my body's breaking down. I had a hockey game on Tuesday night, and there's a new team in our league that is mostly guys that are between like 18 and 21 years old and they're fast as fuck and i just had this knot in the pit of my stomach that i was just gonna hate playing these guys every week and is just gonna make me feel old and slow and i was feeling pretty good when i went out to, to play on on tuesday and uh the puck was in their zone and i play defense so i'm usually the last guy back and somehow the puck got turned over to one of their guys one of their speedy young guys and he had a breakaway and I don't know where the energy came from, but I fucking chased this kid down and took the puck away from him. And this is now what, four days later? I am still uh on a cloud. And um Yeah, it's uh it's amazing. The 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 littlest things can uh I mean, should I, is it bad that I care that much? <laughs> that I, I had a brief moment of youth uh, right there. But anyway, um, I'm happy and I like to share when I'm happy. So there you go. And I look like a you know, I look I sound athletic in it. So I think that's, you know, that's a nice passive aggressive way for me to tell you guys I'm athletic. Let's do a couple of sentences before I spin into a wormhole of <laughs> negative self talk. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by book nerd Jen and about her ADD. She writes, when I'm reading, it's like someone smacks your face after each sentence so you can't recall anything you just read. About her anxiety, everyone waiting in line at the grocery store will hate me when it's my turn and I can't find my debit card, so I wait until 2 a.m. to shop. In a snapshot from her life, when I get laryngitis, it makes me happy because I don't have to think of an excuse to not talk to people, but I can still be amongst them. I totally get that totally get that this is filled out by a guy who calls himself couch knows best I like it uh, about his OCD he, he writes I can't let others do it wrong and uh, snapshot from his life he writes when I tell people I have OCD uh, they think it, it's then funny to put things in my face or wipe stuff on my hands just to fuck with my OCD yeah that's that's hilarious people that uh, that do that um and then this one is from a woman who calls herself Noodle Brains about her anorexia. She writes my mother's voice telling me to suck my stomach in, drinking slim fast at age 6. Oh, that is so fucked up. And then a snapshot from her life. She writes my last med change led me uh, led to me pulling weeds for hours and telling everyone who bothered me to suck my dick. I don't even have a dick.
1: I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate.
0: So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job Mental illness
2: Is convincing myself
1: I'm so alone
2: Why I should try to do something
0: I hate my kids seeing me like that I just imagine killing people I woke up with rats in my hair
2: They warp reality Am I losing myself or am I
1: becoming myself? Go back to
0: bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology.
1: Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. And you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage.
2: You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you
1: won't ask for help.
0: I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm
1: really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I. I have what the woman, who is not right for me anyway, wants.
2: <laughs> I'm here with uh, Patty, and uh, you're a listener, a great supporter of the show, and we connected, I guess it would have been about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. I read one of your surveys on the show, and uh, and it was a very um, uh, forthright <laughs> uh, survey that, that really... Um, I found very interesting and honest and open and kind of searching, and I read it, and then you emailed me after I read it, and what do do you remember thinking or feeling when you heard your survey read?
0: (laughs) I remember writing to you, and I remember saying, I I heard my survey on the podcast, and I had been sitting on the kitchen floor crying (laughs) by listening to my words being spoken to me over the internet. You know, It was just really odd to hear my words come back to me that way, and it was really powerful. Um so I I had emailed you to kind of uh just talk about that I guess and just thank you for reading it and to expose that to myself.
2: What what came up specifically what thoughts and feelings when you heard it being read back and and if you can remember anything from the survey. Um because I you know clearly some of this stuff um there's a reason why I have it filled out anonymously sure. just because I want people to be able to let go of this stuff where they don't have to worry about somebody shaming them or it it going um public and being attached to them Mm -hmm. but also as i've gotten to know you a little bit through correspondence over the the last year you strike me as somebody who is um making a concerted effort to be more open about the things that you used to hide inside. So how's that for a long-ass introduction to the question?
0: (laughs) Yeah, what was the question?
2: (laughs) What do you you remember, your thoughts and feelings about the specific things that you had shared in the survey, if you're comfortable sharing those?
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, really, honestly, it was a year and a half ago, and it's hard for me to remember back that much specifically, but I just know I was just overwhelmed with the shame from, from all these things that I was hanging on to for, you know, my whole life, all these shameful thoughts that I had and shameful feelings and shameful memories. And, you know, they had such a power because I was holding them inside and then hearing them out in the open like that and hearing them exposed, it just, this weight was lifted from me to to be able to hear that. And, you know, feeling somebody else having empathy for me for those things and saying you're too hard on yourself and you don't need to, Worry about them so much you don't need to beat yourself up over it. you know it was just it was a huge weight lifted off of me It was did really you, profound <laughs> did you
2: feel like you were able to um move towards loving yourself a little a little bit yeah
0: more? i mean it was it was definitely the first step in several that I, you know I'm still in progress, of course, but um it really got the ball rolling on kind of a whole new chapter in my life of yeah transforming that and letting go of that shame and learning to accept my flaws and learning how to um, not be so negative about myself and, <laughs> and the things that I think about. Um, yeah, definitely.
2: Talk about the, um, the conversation you had with your, with your male friend.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Afterwards, Um, because that really touched me when you... Yeah, yeah, after uh, I had exchanged a couple emails with you and, you know, mentioned how important, you know, how it felt to have those things um, spoken and how great that was. And you had suggested, you know, find a friend to talk to that you can trust um, and and maybe you can have that same effect with somebody else. And so a a good friend of mine, Chris, he um, is actually the one that turned me on to the show in the first place a couple years ago. Uh, I reached out to him, and we kind of had a shame off over text and we just took turns kind of confessing our our deepest shames and it was It was amazing I mean we just we held nothing back, and a lot of stuff came out and and it was just awesome and and you know we talked about it afterwards, and about how yeah just it just a weight was lifted from the both of us, and it was it was just awesome <laughs> how did you know
2: that chris? Chris, you said yeah. So yeah. How did you know that Chris was a safe person to do that with? Because one of the things that I get emails from people is occasionally people will have a bad experience with opening sure. up to somebody. And I wish I could give some hard and fast rules to identifying who might be safe and who might not be safe to share um, stuff with. What made you think that Chris might be safe to share that stuff with?
0: <laughs> you know, it's a funny story. And hi, Chris, I bet you're listening. Um, uh, well, I think it all started with just the fact that he is the one that turned me on to this show. And, you know, really, there's it's a different kind of person that listens to this show. And okay. I think, you know, him being open to to what can be discussed and, you know, being interested in other people's problems and Um, He and I actually met online a few years ago, and, uh, you know, we've just always been very open with one another. Um, We live kind of far apart from each other, and so our relationship is just basically in text form, and... We we really do share a lot with one another, you know, when, when something comes up we talk to each other. I was talking to him this morning about how nervous I was to come in for the show. Um so so I think just knowing that he had that kind of character um is what made me think he was the person to go to for this. Um of course there is no guarantee though, you don't know who to trust always and you just yeah. kinda of have to take a chance. And I think um, that's
2: one of the things that makes when that's reciprocated, when that vulnerability is um rewarded whatever whatever you want to call it Mm. and that connection is made it's almost like the bigger the chance that was taken the more deeply at least for me the more deeply i feel loved and accepted by that other person you know i mean i wouldn't just launch light right into my darkest you know deepest shames with somebody that it you know you can I don't know about you, but I, you know, kind of will maybe put a little something.
0: Oh yeah, you put your feelers there. out first yeah. and and kind of get to a sense of that person and how their response is going to be. And then you know, if you're building a new relationship with somebody, you kind of just put out a little bit more and a little bit more and yeah. kind of wait for them to turn around and run. And then when they don't, you say, okay, this is a person I can trust. This is a person I can open up to. And it, that was definitely my yeah. experience with my friend Chris. So, yeah.
2: so you know, what's your name? Do you ever find the idea of jumping off a bridge delightful? <laughs>
0: Where'd you go to school?
2: Uh, Do you remember what the first shame you shared with him was?
0: Uh, No, I don't remember. It was kind of a big blur. And honestly, you know, they were all things that I held on. The things that I did in the survey and the things that I talked to my friend about um, were all ones that I, I had been holding on to for so many years. And as soon as I said them out loud, you know, as soon as I wrote them out, they're kind of gone. I don't think about them anymore the way I used to always think about them. I don't dwell on them and it's it's super uplifting that's awesome yeah. do
2: you Do you remember any of them? Are there any that you would be comfortable sharing with the with the audience?
0: Oh boy uh I don't know. do you remember any of them
2: <laughs> um i remember I remember one um and I can edit this out sure if you if you'd like okay um when you were i don't know how old you were mm-hmm. but you is this w- a,
0: a about the shower yes yeah <laughs> i had a feeling um yeah yeah i
2: never i never thought that that i always thought that that was just a guy thing that they oh, were oh
0: i mean okay so so the shame was um that when i was a child and this was when i was you know, I probably started doing it even younger, but I remember thinking about it when I was probably around uh, preteen, like 13, something like that, 12, 13. And I was living with my dad and my sister. Um, My parents were divorced and I would, well, my dad would come in to use the toilet while I was taking a shower. Sometimes I would take really long showers. It was kind of like my only escape from my family at the point because we had a really small apartment. And I would be in the shower, he would come in to use the bathroom, and I would take a peek at him while he was peeing so that I could see what a penis looked like because I was always really curious about that. And back then we didn't have the internet and I didn't have access to knowing what that kind of thing was. And so I was just very curious about it and seemed like a good way to figure it out. And of course, I had only thought of it in the context of what a shameful thing that I would do that and that I would look at my own father that way. And... uh And it was actually, you had brought up the fact like, well, don't you think it's a little weird that he he was going into the bathroom while you were taking a shower? And I said, I guess I never considered that. (laughs) I just always thought, oh, well, there's only one bathroom. So, you know, you just had to share if something came up. But it, it, you know, in retrospect, it could have been the kind of situation where, you know, maybe he was doing it on purpose. I don't know. You know, it's not something I would feel comfortable asking him, so... There was definitely a lot of shame uh for doing that, you know. It it was
2: What were the thoughts that you th- felt or thought about yourself? Uh
0: just that there must have been something wrong with me like oh I must be attracted to my father then if if I want to see that and um yeah, I just it, there was something wrong with the wiring of my brain. Even though because, you weren't
2: attracted to your father.
0: <laughs> no, not that I recall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it just was, yeah, you make do with what you have available, I guess. And if you're curious about sex and there's nobody there to tell you otherwise and there's no, you know, magazines or Internet or anything else, you know, you get what you can get. And uh, yeah, but it's still, I mean, it just makes me feel Dirty. i don't know <laughs> does it still make you feel that way it does a little yeah it's i don't know i feel like i was too old at that time you know i, I could see if i was much younger i would be more likely to forgive myself for it more quickly um but just because i, I feel like that, i should have known but better. the fact
2: that you had never seen one at 13 <laughs> i mean that to yeah. me in, in a way that kind of makes sense i mean it's kind of um i don't know if sad's the right word that it that, that had to be your dad that there yeah. that there was no uh, you know there wasn't <laughs> there a, was no a friend on access. the block or yeah. something you could say um but i don't know in a way i think it's kind of sweet <laughs> you know because it's so it's so innocent and human um and yet i completely get how easily it would be to to feel shame over right. that i remember one time being on the beach and uh, and I, I was a teenager, and I was standing above my mom, and she had a bathing suit on, and I remember her, the top of her bathing suit kind of moved away from her breasts, and I could see her nipples. And I remember f- being like, oh my God, like grossed out, but I also couldn't turn my head for about five or six <laughs> seconds, and then just thinking, "What, what kind of a... F- fucking weirdo are you but you know it's i mean like we slow down to you know to look at traffic accidents you know we look at our poop (laughs) you know why we're curious sure it's probably one of the reasons we've survived on the planet is because we have this built-in curiosity um
0: that's true. And in, in most parts of my life, I, I embrace that curiosity. I think it's awesome that I'm fascinated by life and people and things and science. And it's just when it has to do with sexuality and with your parents, it gets a little blurry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fun thing to, to,
2: to put together, those two right. things.
0: But I see your point, though, about about it being sort of sweet is a hard word to use for it. But yeah, just it is. It's innocent. It's I I was lucky that I didn't have exposure as a child, you know that I was learning it that way, you know in a I guess controlled, safe environment, yeah, maybe. I but
2: think, I think people listening to that just like want to f- find that thirteen year old and give <laughs> her a hug and go, "I'm so sorry, sweetie, that you've, you know that uh, that you've. It's good that you've been sheltered, but it's so bad that you have to feel shame on, on that um,
0: right.
2: Your e- exploration, whatever <laughs> you, you, you want to call. It talk about do you remember any, any any other shames that that you shared hmm. on the survey or with your friend or things that you think of now that that you've let go that feel freeing to
0: trying to think of something um. okay. if nothing comes to mind <laughs> yeah uh yeah i guess i can't think of anything specifically
2: uh do you want to talk about what it was like growing up?
0: Sure. Yeah.
2: What uh how old were you when your parents got divorced?
0: Um I was 9 years old. Uh I have one older sister. She's 3 years older than I am and it was just the four of us basically for the first 9 years until they split up. Um it was pretty chaotic, I would say. It was not the most healthy of marriages. Uh they were both really young when they got married. They you know, she got pregnant with my sister so they got married cuz that's what you do. And, uh, you know, it it started out okay. My mom stayed at home and raised us, um, but...
2: And was this Minnesota? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I grew up in Minnesota. Out in the country, we had a a small hobby farm where we raised ducks and geese and all kinds of little silly things like that. It was. It was... I just loved it. And I I have such a connection to nature now because of that experience growing up. Um, But, you know, over the time that I was there, you know, my, my mom started drinking a lot. And my dad was a pretty big pot smoker and still is. Um, My mom still drinks. Uh, But I think they kind of clashed a little bit in that regard. And uh, I don't know, it it basically it started to go kind of south, the relationship and and the family unit, I would say, um, probably around the time I was Maybe seven or so. I I have a lot of memories of there being a lot of arguments between my parents. Um, and, and my mom was always the one that that was the violent one and the one with the temper and the one to be feared. Uh, if we were ever in trouble, it was her that would you know be there to spank us or punish us in whatever way or to flip out. Um, and my dad was he was always the go-to the the fun dad that would let us off the hook or give us what we wanted. We just kind of had to beg him for, oh, can I have some candy? And he'd give us some candy. Um, but, but yeah. And, and so her, her drinking got worse. And I think being the age that I was, you know, I, I really picked up on a lot of what was going on. And I don't know if it's just me piecing back memories as an adult, or if I really do remember things as clearly as I think I do. But, you know, I, it kind of goes back to that curiosity thing again, where I I was always curious and I always wanted to know why, why people were the way they were, because I could tell that, that there was something going on. And I was always so curious and I would go through and I would, Dig around in their closets and their dressers and just try to figure out, you know, well, there's got to be a clue. There's got to be some something that I'm missing. You know, I know I'm too young to understand, but there's got to be something. And so I would go and I would find, you know, vodka bottles all over in my mom's closet hidden. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. And
2: <laughs> Did you did you wonder why are they together? What why would these two people who, you know, seemingly are arguing all the time and not really enjoying each other's company? Why? Why the hell did they decide to get together in the first place? I
0: definitely think that now, when I look back on it, but at the time, I just thought, why don't they they seem to love each other the way most couples do? you know my other my friends who have parents that aren't divorced, but you know, come to think of it, most of my friends growing up had divorced parents, so maybe it didn't seem that unusual at the time uh but but, I just wanted to know why nobody was getting along the way that I thought they should and
2: is there any, anything that you would like to have said um, to your parents?
0: Hmm. You know, it's funny because I'm kind of the way things have kind of repeated themselves is a really good experience for me because if we fast forward to um, about 10 years ago, my dad uh, remarried. Um, he's got another daughter now, my sister, my half sister, who's nine. So I'm kind of watching as they raise her. And I see all of those patterns going again. And I do say stuff to them sometimes. And I say, why are you fighting again? Why are you fighting in front of Angela? She's she's just a child. She shouldn't have to be exposed to that. And it, it's hard, though, because they, you know, who the hell am I to give them parenting advice? I don't have any kids. And it's it's a really odd circumstance where I get to kind of see... The way I was raised being played out on somebody else and evaluate it and say you know question it and be able to actually inter- interject sometimes
2: was the reason that your um, I've been fiddling with the the volume uh, control so I apologize oh. if uh, <laughs> if I'm a little uh, scattered but um, oh boy that was uh, abrupt was the reason that your dad got custody of you because of your mom's drinking.
0: Yeah, that was actually a pretty big ordeal. Um, I guess going back to it, okay, so their fighting got worse. And there was a lot of, you know, my mom, there was this one time they were fighting, and I walked into their bedroom, and she had, just at the moment I walked in, smashed a giant coffee mug into my dad's forehead. And he was laying on the bed and just bleeding everywhere. And there's ceramic everywhere and screaming and fighting. And it was just it was nonstop like that. And you know, I've I've wondered what all the reasons were for it. I think it's possible there was some sort of infidelity, but I just nothing. Nobody ever really tells me anything. So, <laughs> um, but but the night that they officially split up, um, it was the middle of the night, and yeah, I was about nine years old, and my mom came into the bedroom, threw a paper bag at me, and said, "Pack your stuff, we're leaving." And I heard fighting and screaming, and she left the room to go do whatever, pack stuff. Um, I went out, I met my sister, and we said, you know, what's going on? And we said, oh, I think I think this is the big one. I think it's finally happening. And, um, of course, our reaction was run to dad because he, he was always the more stoic one. He was the one that took care of us. He's the one that made us dinner at night, and he's the one that helped us. And so we went to him and said, what's going on? And he said, she's trying to take you away. I'm not going to let her take you away. She's trying to take you away. Uh, the police ended up coming, and they talked to everybody, and they said, "Well, you have to go with your mom tonight." And we went kicking and screaming, but there was no choice. And she drove us to, um, of all things, a battered women's shelter, which was just so ironic. And even I knew it at the even time. Your
2: dad did not physically abuse. As
0: far him. as I know, he never did. I know um, he would try to restrain her sometimes, and she would end up with bruises. But I, I witnessed a lot of it, and I'd never seen him lay a hand on her other than just to hold her back when she was having a fit. You know. Um, so, so as far as I know, he didn't, um, but yeah, I just, I knew at the time how ironic it was that we were going to the shelter and I understand, you know, that she didn't have a lot of options and needed a place to go to get out of the situation because, you know, it wasn't doing anybody any good to stay. Um, but did, so we ended up staying there for a few days.
2: Did it ever feel like, um, like she wasn't taking, um, responsibility for her drinking and she was kind of blaming him f- for it oh, without, she, without looking at her her own stuff.
0: She's always been in complete denial about it, and I mean it's it's a bit tragic because, like I said, my dad he's he's a pretty big stoner, and you know he's got his own issues. He definitely has his own issues. He's been smoking pot since he was twelve, and that and really how, stunts your brain. <laughs> and
2: how old is he now?
0: Um, he must be in his mid forties, mid to late forties. Yeah. Um. So, oh wait, no. How old is my dad? He's in his mid fifties. It's all the same yeah. to me sometimes and,
2: uh, how old are you
0: um i'm gonna be 30 in a couple weeks
2: how do you feel about that
0: uh, uh i'm mostly okay with it i'm mostly okay
2: <laughs> uh so are there any, any um any uh, seminal moments from from childhood that were that maybe we're missing
0: yeah um Gosh, well, you know, a lot of it when I when I was growing up out on the hobby farm before the divorce, it was, it was a lot of fending for myself, and that's kind of the mentality that I've always grown up with. Is like you're kind of on your own. You don't can't really count on other people to take care of you because my family, you know, all three of them. My older sister was basically always trying to rip me off. She always had a scam, and she was really good at it. And she could always talk me out of something or you know screw me over somehow and one of the perks of being the older yeah. sibling Yeah. I mean luckily it wasn't I wasn't getting beat by her or anything but it was just yeah, it was, okay, don't trust her because she's she's not going to help you out. She's not your friend and and my parents were kind of off in their own world and so for the most part I just kind of wandered around by myself and explored and we had a, you know, large yard and so I would just go out and hang out in nature and play with whatever and write stuff and Um, I just definitely grew up with the mentality that you have to take care of yourself and entertain yourself. And uh, it's definitely carried over to the rest of my life. Um, I guess, uh, specifically when I was younger, see if I have any ideas here.
2: while you're you're doing <laughs> it, I just want to share with the listener the I love the hardware that I have for uh the podcast, but one of the things that I don't love about it is the volume control on the microphones goes from like zero to way too loud with like a millimeter in between and sometimes, if I get a guest like yourself who's a little soft spoken, I feel the need to boost it and then I have trouble finding the the boost um and so I've just been fiddling with that a little oh. bit and I, maybe I need to let go of my sound OCD and
0: uh doesn't ch- always have to be perfect Paul Just chill the <laughs> fuck out but don't
2: you know that I won't get love if it's not perfect Patty Oh
0: I know all too well Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um I guess uh one kind of interesting moment was um right after the divorce and you know we we did get sent to our mom for a couple of years before we got the custody situation figured out. Um, and during that time, right after the separation, um, just a couple years ago, I went back. I, I, my mom had just moved and she gave me a box of old photographs and I was kind of going through them. And uh, one of them was my school picture from that year. So that was uh, fourth grade, I think. And I just looked shabby. I just looked just run down and just dysfunctional (laughs) and uh you know my hair was all messed up I was wearing this god-awful outfit with like a collar One collar was flipped up and one was down and it was just it didn't look like me you know and it was really powerful to see that photograph that little you know flash of time from that that time in my life that was just kind of the worst you know
2: what what would you if you could get in a time machine and go back and talk to that kid what would you say to that kid
0: (laughs) run (laughs) get out of there (laughs) put
2: your your fucking collar down
0: (laughs) um yeah i guess i guess i would probably just say you know just just hang in there because you're this isn't going to last forever just keep keep fighting for what you know is right um yeah because because that time that we were staying with my mom her drinking got really bad and I'm not really sure, you know. I know she had kind of a troubled childhood, and I think there was some sexual abuse, but again, I, I just don't know the specifics of it, and I don't really feel comfortable asking her. Um, but she can you
2: give me a snapshot of when her drinking was bad?
0: Uh, probably, yeah, right around when I was between eight and twelve. Those years, um, it but, was.
2: But I mean like a particular instance to get, yeah, kind of paint a picture for yeah, us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when we were staying with her, we had an apartment, and she would just kind of be conked out on her recliner chair, watching television all night, you know, just just drinking. And she couldn't handle raising the kids. And so my sister and I, we shared a bedroom, and she would literally lock us in there and say, you know, just you're not allowed to come out. You we I can't deal with you. And so we didn't necessarily see her drinking, but it was it was the temper that we saw. Um and and during that period of time when we were, you know, trapped in our bedroom, it was uh you know, it was hot and it was summertime and she would let us come out to get our meals and then she would let us you know, make wow. us go back into the bedroom, and That's it's so fucked up it's like it's, why doesn't
2: she go drink yeah, in the bedroom?
0: Yeah, that would have been nice. um, I guess have we the, would have been too loud. <laughs> have the decency to isolate, yeah, yeah, and then there were times where she would just leave, you know, and so she, we were safe in our room, so she could go out drinking and then she would come back in the middle of the night. You so. weren't
2: even when she would leave, you still had to be in your room, oh yeah,
0: yeah, um, there was <laughs> you know that went on for probably. Uh, you know, my timeline is so bad, I think, but but I want to say a week or so where there was a, a real period of time where that was basically it. My sister got sick because of the heat, you know, and she was throwing up in the bedroom. We were we were locked in there. We couldn't get out. Um, But we heard our mom leave. I think she maybe told us she was going to go out and get smokes or something. And so, so we. <laughs> it sounds uh, like a Simps- yeah, Simpsons character. It's. it's ridiculous so that was yeah i was you know nine or ten years old my sister's three years older than i am and she said okay that's it patty we got to go we got to get out of here and so we climbed out our window but we were on the first floor so we popped out the screen climbed out the window and decided you to- were locked in yeah and so we ran What if you had to go to the bathroom hold it
2: <laughs> that's abuse that's it was abuse. it was
0: neglect and it was abuse and You know, when I look back at it, I I try to make excuses for her and say she had such a hard childhood herself and she was so young when she had kids and she didn't have the right support system to help her. And, you know, I know that's all bullshit and I know there's no excuse for it, but I try to give her a little bit of slack yeah, not, <laughs> that's
2: not saying that she's she's a bad person but that mm. clearly is somebody who's sick whose idea that that is okay yeah. is that's sick
0: yeah yeah and you know i think it was a control thing i think she just didn't want us to go with our dad you know that would mean he won she didn't uh, want that is she kind so, of vindictive oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's that's her i mean that's my dad too so it's yeah it was great um <laughs> have, have either of them gotten sober uh no, no. Um it's funny though because my mom, you know, we have kind of a strange relationship these days. Um we we did go for a period of time without really speaking uh by my choice and <laughs> um I I kind of reestablished things with her after I graduated high school and you know, my life was kind of in order again and I I have been trying slowly to build up a relationship with her again, but it's it's hard, you know, and we don't we don't talk about anything. We it's just very routine it's just very how's the weather
2: alcoholism is such a thick brick wall yeah yeah, it is and at a certain level it works for the alcoholic it's the bluntest of tools but
0: she's in a fantasy world she whatever reality she's living in is not the one i live in and um she's had the audacity to say things to me like oh i never cared for vodka and i just laughed at her and i said what do you mean what what about all those bottles i found in your closet (laughs) oh there was no bottles in my closet you know, you're never gonna win that argument. No. And and she also said, uh, "Oh, I was a good mom." And and again, I just laugh at her. <laughs> it's not good. Um, but but that do that,
2: do any particular feelings come up when when she says that?
0: Just, I just wish she would have been there. I wish she would have been in the same reality that I was. If she had been there with me to. To experience what I experienced. So you know? is it
2: sadness that that didn't happen? Or is it anger? Is it I something else? I guess
0: sadness. I guess, yeah, I just, I feel, I feel like I missed out on having that relationship. You know, you're supposed to be close to your mother, right? Like that's one of the most important people in your life. And we don't have that closeness. We've never really had that closeness. I I don't remember ever feeling it, you know? Uh, so yeah, I feel like I kind of missed out on that. And I... Uh, you know, I know it wasn't my fault. I know I didn't do that. So I guess I kind of blame her for it. Um, But then on the other hand, I try to, yeah, like I say, I make excuses for her and I try to put myself in her shoes and say, well, I don't think I would have done any better. Um, Yeah. Is alcohol (laughs)
2: uh, or drugs a problem for you?
0: For me, it's not really. Um, I, I had my period in my teenage years where I kind of experimented and I dabbled and you know, got into some stuff that I shouldn't have gotten into, but it was always pretty recreational. Now you got to tell us what that's about. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Well, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I started smoking pot when I was 15, maybe. Um, And uh, I guess it just kind of rolled into, oh, well, here, I'm at this party. Here's this stuff. Oh, we're going to go to a rave. Here's this. And, you know, I tried it. I tried, you know, ecstasy and cocaine and you know, acid and mushrooms and all whatever. All on the same night. Uh, Yeah, probably <laughs> on a weekend at least. Um, you know, and it was all kind of fun, but for the most part, I didn't like not being in control. It was kind of one of those, like, I want to be in control of my situation, and, and those drugs never allowed me to have that. I hear
2: that so much with people <laughs> who are the, the children of, of addicts. Yeah. So many of them are like, I don't like not being yeah. in control.
0: It's true.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> so talk about about control. In, in your life? Where, where, I'm a
0: huge control freak. <laughs> where do
2: you feel like it kind of goes over the line and uh, becomes unmanageable if it does become... Or, or maybe instances where it's delicious and you know maybe it's not healthy, but it's oh, like, oh, this is so satisfying.
0: Man, I mean, just this last month, I could give you so many examples. Um, I mean, it's... I just rely so heavily on being organized and making lists, and if I'm not on task and if I'm not ahead of the game you know then I, of course I beat myself up because I'm a big fuck up and I'm not getting anything done and I might as well just quit but um, like in the last month alone I have um sold my house bought a new house uh, been working on this big new project at my new job that I started like four months ago um i'm back in school now so i'm dealing with that crap i've got nine credits i'm working on right now uh planning what? this vacation to california um all you know within the last few weeks and i'm just like flying through and getting all this shit done and i already filed my taxes and oh my you god you know i'm i just and i just now i'm starting, on that. To, hate, now no, I'm starting I to hate you i know what everybody does i, I just thrive on that feeling of you know, just accomplishment, if I'm not accomplishing like 20 things in a day, then I just, I've ruined the day and I may as well have stayed mm-hmm. in bed, you know, um, it's so, just, it's all about control. So
2: it's hard for you to just be oh, and, and say, I'm in, I'm enough. I, I don't yeah. have to be anything else. I'm, if, I'm okay exactly as I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. And with my time, you know, if I have a day that I don't have anything planned for, oh, that's just crippling. It's crippling.
2: Does the thought <laughs> of meditating just frighten you?
0: You know, I, I have meditated and I like meditating, but but I, I schedule it. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I do. I I mean, I can do that. I can just be, and that's okay.
2: Is it nice? Because that you know that's compartmentalized and it's not going to spiral out of control. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I know that's not going to take over my life. It's not open-ended. Know? It's not. <laughs> so,
2: so it sounds like there are if you can't envision how some the, the unknown terrifies you.
0: Yes, yes. And that's kind of the stem of all my anxiety issues is that, that unknown, you, you know.
2: Do you extrapolate negatively, like, oh, this is gonna happen and then oh, that's oh. gonna happen.
0: Oh yeah. Worst case scenario all the time. Uh, you the- know, I I thought for sure we were gonna have five earthquakes today just because I'm here, you know? <laughs> um yeah, it's it's always worst case scenario thinking. And I've I've gotten a lot better at not listening to those voices when I hear them, you know, I, I can just kind of shove it away and say, you know, shut the fuck up. I know that's not what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, the the fear of the unknown is huge for me. And I, I try to plan everything. And that's, that's why I'm always on top of things. That's why, because I have to have, I have to be prepared, you know.
2: Give me a, an example of a situation that might not have freaked the average person out, but freaked you out that you can, that you can remember that, that happened to you <laughs> where you were like, uh, you know.
0: Oh, boy, just come in here, count <laughs> <laughs> sure, um, well, oh. they,
2: well, the average uh certainly the average listener who is a guest always says that they're that they're nervous, yeah, so I, I don't think that's unusual,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's just the fear of the unknown, I don't know um there was God, I'm trying to think back because I used to get some panic attacks um I uh you know I've had would you schedule them in yeah (laughs) uh I tried four to five freak out (laughs) (laughs) um yeah they they were kind of disparate they actually kind of went hand in hand with when I was smoking pot and so I ended up quitting that when I was not a good drug for panic attacks no not at all um yeah I think I quit smoking pot when I was like 18 so I was ahead of the game I got that done early you know check that off the list (laughs) Um, but there was a time I was out driving with a friend and we were, um, I think we were going to the Mall of America and I just, all of a sudden just freaked out for no reason. There was no traffic. There was no good reason. I knew this person. I'd known him for years, knew exactly where I was going, been there a hundred times, just freaked out for no reason. And I, I pulled off and we went inside of a Burger King and just like curled up into a ball in the bathroom and was hyperventilating and wow. had the paramedics come cause I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And. And they came in and, you know, just said, oh, it's nothing. It's a panic attack. You're fine. You're just not breathing and you'll be fine. The worst thing that's going to happen is you'll pass out and you'll wake up again and you'll be fine. So that kind of calmed me down. Get on your
2: feet and walk the four miles to the other end of the mall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you been there?
2: I haven't, but it's the biggest mall in America, right? That's
0: what they say. It's pretty exciting.
2: (laughs) Um so give me some more snapshots from childhood or adolescence or any point in your life that helps paint a, a picture of what you go through or maybe something that you've dealt with or over overcome.
0: Right. Okay. Um, well, I think, I I don't know if I finished the story before about, um, running away from our mom's house and we went to my sister and I to the police station that night. Um, and it was, it was after sundown. It was still pretty early, but it was like, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night, I think. And, uh, uh, we went to the police station for help. You know, we said, our mom is trapping us in our bedroom and she's abusive and she's an alcoholic and we need to go with our dad. You know, he wants custody and we're trying to get him custody. And, uh, they, they listened to us for a few minutes and then they called their mom and sent us back home with her and said, there's nothing we can do. We have to have you go back with your mom. Um, so there was this long drawn out custody battle between my two parents and, uh, I, being the expert Snoop, um, really helped with that because I went in and I took her diary and I went and made photocopies of it <laughs> and,
1: <laughs>
0: um, gave those all to my dad's lawyer. And, uh, yeah, there was some good stuff in there about how, how bad of a mom she was, you know? And, uh, so only- she knew
2: on a certain level, uh, and the, and the diary was she, she was, was she questioning conscious? herself. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, she
0: was. And she, you know... Was she talking
2: about specific incidents or just being vague?
0: Um, You know, it was a long time ago, and I, I didn't read the whole thing, actually. But I know it seemed like there were specific things. You know, she would write about specific encounters. And we also um, <laughs> were able to overhear her talking to her mom on the phone. Um, Back in the day when we had cassette tapes, and you could record over them on the radio, uh-huh. you could pick up a... A cordless phone signal on your radio sometimes, and so we actually figured out how to record her phone conversations, which was just pretty amazing. I thought for for our ages, um, like but, a little Nancy Drew. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you do what it takes, I guess. Um, but I know one thing that she did write in her her diary there was um. So
2: she knew at this point that you didn't want to live with her, but oh, she yeah. was so
0: she just didn't want to lose. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she couldn't handle us and, you know, maybe my dad wasn't going to be any better and maybe that's what she thought, but how at she, least she wasn't abusive.
2: How how did, in her mind?
0: Yeah, he wasn't, I meant. Oh, yeah. he
2: wasn't abusive. How would she justify it in her mind?
0: I couldn't tell you that. She wouldn't
2: say it to you, <laughs> here's the reason why I want to keep uh, you. She wouldn't, she wouldn't I, say that.
0: I don't think that ever came up. Probably just, you're my kids and you're staying here, you know? This is... You know, you came out of me. You're my kids. Um, yeah, it just—I so, don't know. She she was definitely having a hard time at, at that period of her life. Um,
2: so the, go get back to the diaries. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so the diary. Oh, I was the one that, that pulled you off track. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> that's just my reaction always. It's yeah. my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um <laughs> uh yeah, I, I know there was cuz there was a lot of those nights where she was just going to, you know, she had been disappearing and not coming back until late at night. And uh one of her entries was, you know, I went to the bar last night and I went home with two different guys and I wonder if I'm a slut and all this while, you know, I've been locked in my bedroom and and that's what she's doing. You know, she's not out there trying oh, to Oh, this is what you're herself. thinking now. Yeah. 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 Like I just
2: did she ever mention that she was locking you kids in the bedroom mm, in her diary?
0: You know, I don't remember that for sure. Okay. <laughs> but But whatever it was that she wrote, there was enough evidence to prove that my, my pothead dad was a better fit parent, so... <laughs>
2: did she bring up his pot smoking in court?
0: I have to imagine she did. I have yeah. to imagine. Were you there
2: for the proceedings?
0: I wasn't, no. Okay. No, I think... Uh, I don't know. They they knew what we wanted, and... Did uh, she know
2: that she, you photocopied her diary?
0: Oh, I'm sure that came up, yeah. She...
2: Did she ever say anything to you?
0: She. Yeah, she... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my whole life I was always getting blamed for things like that, for snooping and for for stealing things. And, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of times I did it, but a lot of times I didn't and I would still be getting punished for it. Um, So I think it was kind of a similar scenario where, uh, you know, I I was going to get punished for it. Whether or not I did it, I may as well get all the evidence that I can to help. Um, But yeah, that was definitely a period of time where I didn't, speak to my mom for a while so and it felt good <laughs> when that. you got
2: you got sent to go live with your dad
0: it was great i <laughs> um my dad gave me this box of school stuff a couple years ago that I had written a letter to my teacher. I think it was like a first day of class kind of thing, like an introduction, uh, introduce yourself project. And I had just written to him all this stuff about the custody battle and just how grateful I was to be living with my dad. And I wrote on the bottom, like, please don't show my parents this. Like, don't show my mom this, this note. But I'm so glad to be living with my dad now. Um, and it was, it was like, it was, we were so appreciative, you know, even though he had a lot of rules and because he's, he's controlling like I am, you know, he's very controlled. And so he had a lot of rules and he, he, uh, enforced them, but, but it was worth it, you know?
2: You know, I think as long as the rules aren't crazy,
0: mm-hmm. I
2: think that's an awesome thing for kids. Cause it's, uh,
0: but you learn discipline yeah. and you learn, you know, self-reliance. Um, like, you know, for example, I had to help with the cooking and I had to help with the cleaning and, uh, You know, I always had to be home from school at a certain time. We didn't have cell phones then, of course. And so it was, you know, we had to call and check in if we were going to go to a friend's house or if we were going to go out. Um, And he was really strict about it. And if we didn't do what we were supposed to do, we'd get grounded. Um, But we didn't get beat the way our mom did. You know, she, she had, you know, a paddle and she had a stick and she would just beat us on the ass if we screwed something up. You know, if she just raised her hand up, we would flinch and run away. And... With our dad, it was just like, oh, you know, he'll calm down in a few minutes and it's not going to be a big deal. And, you know, we deserve this. We should have listened to him. We should have followed the rules. Would Um, it be
2: fair to say that you felt love from your dad?
0: I did. Yeah, I would say so. But he wasn't the most affectionate either, you know, and and he's he's changed a little bit since. But he, he said, you know, the way he was raised was, you know, his parents never said, I love you. And. He never said that to us when we were kids because that's just what you do. But now that he's got another daughter and, and her mom is the type that says I love you, he's kind of changed his tune. And now he's he's gotten a little softer around the edges, um, which is really sweet. You know, it's nice to see that. Do you
2: remember the first time he told you I love you?
0: <sighs> hmm. Maybe not specifically. <laughs>
2: he was peeing and you were looking at his yeah, penis. That was probably it. And yeah. he looked at you just sideways. looked over at me said, in the shower. Yeah. By the way, creepy, <laughs> I love you. <laughs>
0: Uh, maybe maybe that was it um and no but way, it was I, and
2: by the way i get, i don't think that was <laughs> that was creepy I was
0: no i know i sweat. know i'm just kidding uh so yeah like, like living with him it was it was different it was it felt like we were kind of all on the same level it was kind of the mm. the uh, parenting strategy of being friends with your children you know even though he had rules um we used to smoke pot together, so... Oh, really? How old were <laughs> so you? So there was that. Uh, how
2: old was that? Um, uh, did you ask him or did he offer it to you?
0: Oh, boy. I, I'm pretty sure I asked. I think he caught me stealing it from him at a certain point. And... Uh,
2: Do you remember how old you were?
0: Well, I know I started smoking it when I was about 15, so probably around then. You know, I'd just hmm. pinch out a little bit from him once in a while. And uh, I remember the first time we got high together was uh, Christmas Eve. And we were driving out to his girlfriend's house and he would, you know, often sit while he was driving and roll a joint up. He was really good at it, just like whoop, whoop, whoop while he's driving. That's what the knees are for. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty amazing to watch. And so, as usual, that's what he was doing. And he lights it up and was smoking it. And then he passed it over to me and said, Merry Christmas. So (laughs) (laughs) it was great. So we showed up at his girlfriend's house. I'm high as hell. And... It was just a great old time. And
2: did she say anything or think anything <laughs> um, about him getting his fifteen year old daughter high?
0: You know, I don't know if she did. I don't remember. Was I was she just had in smoker? a good old time. She was not she oddly enough, was uh she worked at a prison. It was the <laughs> the weirdest relationship ever. Um and they dated for like ten years, but then they split up uh he was trying to grow pot out on her property and she was getting upset about it. <laughs>
2: yeah, working at a reasonably, prison reasonably, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. fair to say you'd lose your job working yeah. at the prison.
0: Yeah, I, I do not understand that relationship whatsoever but she seemed really nice i i didn't mind her um i, I don't know
2: <laughs> let's let's get into the um i feel like we got a good picture of like childhood and stuff unless there's some huge seminal moment we're leaving out but i kind of want to get into i want to get into you know, the last five, 10 years, the arc of your emotional life and how you relate to people and how you feel about yourself.
0: Sure. Um, actually I'm going to go back about seven years ago because that was when I was diagnosed with cancer.
1: Oh my God. Uh,
0: I don't know if I ever mentioned that to you or not, but, um, I was 22 and things were moving right along. I was, uh, dating a boy. We just bought a house together. Um, He was an alcoholic, it turned out, but that came later. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, life was going good. We were on the right track. We were starting a life together. 22, everything was great. And then uh, I had some lumps in my neck, and they uh, eventually decided that it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, it, it wasn't too severe. It was stage two, and I did some chemo, and I did some radiation. And I came out the other end six months later, and everything was great. Now it's been seven years, and I'm fine. So overall, it was a really easy experience as far as cancer goes, which was great. and I'm super thankful for that. Um, But that was kind of the turning point in my life where I said, you know, I've just kind of been going through the motions and I've kind of been just doing what I think I have to do and not necessarily what I want to do. Um, So I started really reevaluating things. And that's when I kind of realized that the relationship I was in wasn't working out so well. Um, We were together for five years altogether, which when you're 22 is a pretty long time. Um, but he he had some drinking issues and there was a lot of trust issues. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't working for me. And I tried to work it out with him. and I, you know, suggested therapy and he didn't want to go through that route. So I ended up leaving him. I just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And we sold the house and I moved back to my hometown and kind of started over again, and... uh Did you
2: go back and forth in your mind about whether or not it was the right thing to do, or was it once that it kind of... It... You had that epiphany, it was pretty...
0: You know, it's sad, but I think for the first four years of that relationship, I knew something was a little off, but I just kept going for it anyway. I just said, oh, it's going to work out. You know, he's a good guy. He's got a job. Yeah, he's had a couple DUIs. Yeah, he spent some time in the in the jail, but you know, he's, he's turning himself around. He's going to be okay, but he never was. And uh, what, what was really the turning point in that relationship was when he started listening to right-wing radio actually. Um, and he would say stuff to me and I wasn't political at all, but he would bring up something that was just ridiculous. And I would go, well, that doesn't sound right. And I'd go look it up on the internet and go, what the hell are you talking about? That's not right at all. Who said that? And he'd say, oh, I was listening to Rush or whoever. And I just said, yeah, this, this is never going to work. I can't, I can't do this relationship anymore. Um, but but he, because of his alcoholism, um, there was just a lot of trust issues because I would find bottles stashed around the house, oddly enough. And, you know, I I kind of repeated the pattern of going through his things and going, there's something missing here. And I know I can find a clue. And I would go, you know, look in his checkbook or, or his closet or his pants pockets or whatever once in a while when I was just pretty sure he'd been drinking that day and, and couldn't prove it. And he would never admit to it, you know. Um, but it really had me questioning myself because I'd, I'd find evidence. I'd say, well, here's a bottle in the back of the closet. I know it's not mine. <laughs> so you were drinking, right? Oh, no, that was from a really long time ago. No, no, no. We I swear I would tell you the truth if I had been. And so, of course, uh, I just started to doubt myself so much. You know, it really, after a few years of that, of just major self-doubt, I didn't know what to think about what I thought anymore. You know, I didn't trust my instincts anymore.
2: And I imagine too, for somebody who lives with anxiety and control issues, it's the easiest thing in the world to make that your primary focus instead of taking care of yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's all about just calming things down a little bit, not, not worrying about you it's just worrying about making everything better around you
2: i i know when people get into uh, support groups for codependency they (laughs) they think it's that they're there to change the other person Mm -hmm. and they're going to get tips on how to change the other person and they're so frustrated when they find out that the other people in the spark group just want to know how they're doing. How are you doing? What's going on with you? And usually they don't even know. They're not even in touch with the rage or the resentment because they think, oh, I'm, I've been victimized. They don't think yeah. that they have a part in engaging in this drama.
0: Yeah, it's, it's bizarre because I don't know a lot of other codependent people, I don't think. And and when I do meet one and I'm on the reciprocating end of it, it is just the weirdest feeling. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you want to know how I feel? That doesn't make any sense. We're talking about you. This is all about you. It's always about you. <laughs> um, You yeah. know, there's the, there's the joke. <laughs> what's
2: the last thing to go through a codependent's mind right before they die? Mm. Somebody else's life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's me right there. Um, But, but again, you know, I was trying to change that. And so, so I split up with that, that person and started my life over basically. And I said, I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to make my life more meaningful. I'm going to make more meaningful connections with people because that's what I want. Because when I went through cancer, you know, all those people that I thought were my friends just kind of scuttled away and. You know, my mom actually is one of those people. She, oddly enough, um, I called her to tell her about my diagnosis and she came running to my house and gave me a big hug and, and talked to me that night, which kind of blew me away. Like it was really out of character for her to be so concerned about me. Um, and then she never called again the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> what? She she what? never once called me to ask me how I was. And I would call her occasionally to give her an update, you know, every oh couple my weeks. God. Not once. She was just gone, you know, just living her life, figuring, oh, he's taking care of her, she's she's fine.
2: Never even occurring to her to th- that never she, called. she wants something emotional
0: from <laughs> her mom. You would think so, yeah. And my dad, on the other hand, he flew down, he bought me a bunch of gifts and he was there all the time. And his reaction I found out later was resentment for me not asking him to come with me to my chemo appointments because my my boyfriend went with me he, mm. we lived together it just made more sense we lived in the same town but it turned out my dad actually resented the fact that I didn't ask more help from him so I got that little gem from him a couple years ago <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so so the point was you know I want to I want to have more meaningful connections with people and so that's kind of what I strive to do and you know the last or, you know the few years ago um Yeah, yeah, I was making some headway, but I still was having a lot of problems with myself, I guess. I I hadn't really turned inward yet. You know, I was just trying to fix things around me, like you were just saying. Um, And basically, um, I guess I started going to a therapist. Uh, I went to one first before the survey and and talking to you, actually. But I went to a therapist, and, and that was kind of the... The first time I saw one, you know, I'd seen some through my childhood. I'd seen some as a teenager. I saw one to try to help me with my fear of flying with uh, biofeedback, which was kind of interesting. Um, but but this was the first time I actually kind of wanted to reach out to somebody to talk to them, and it was good. Um, I enjoyed it, but she just wasn't the right fit. So I, I still felt kind of trapped, and I was feeling kind of stuck. Um, and then... <laughs> uh, yeah, uh before before the survey too, um, I was seeing somebody and I had gotten pregnant, didn't want it, had an abortion, and that kind of sent me into a spiral as well. Um it wasn't too dramatic. It wasn't as dramatic as it could have been, but it was just kind of a, a life changer. It was like, What did I do to get me to this point and why? And
2: You're talking about the abortion itself or the aftermath of it? <sighs>
0: I guess just getting me to the point of being pregnant, really, you know, um, I think the the abortion was the correct choice. And, you know, I don't regret doing it, but I regret getting to that point where I needed it. Who was the Um,
2: father, if you're comfortable sharing?
0: uh, He was just a a guy I'd been dating for about a year, um, uh, somebody who who lives in my same hometown. Um, There was never really going to be any future with him, but did he know it was he was what the it father? Was. He did, yeah. I, I told him about it and, and his first instinct was, you know, really supportive and it was really, you know, whatever you want to do is fine, you know, and I said, Well I'm kinda of leaning towards keeping it really, because God those hormones are a bitch and they're they're in you, and they just tell you what to do and tried to convince me that I was gonna be a good mom for a few minutes there and I thought, No, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. Um And what I actually did, my next step was uh, I talked to my dad about it because I thought, okay, he feels bad I didn't go and talk to him about the cancer stuff and I didn't have him come with the chemo. So I thought this is my way to make it up to him. I'm going to go ask him his advice. And his reaction at first was, oh, yeah, um, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that. And then he found out that the father changed his mind and the father said, "Uh, I'm not going to stick around if you do that uh so my dad's reaction if you have it if if i have it yeah Yeah. he said he was going to be gone and and i believe that i don't think i could have relied on him um my dad called me later the day after i went to go talk to him just livid just screaming and crying and telling me don't don't keep it don't keep it you have whatever you do you have to get rid of that baby i'm not going to be able to help you you can't do it on your own don't do it Um, and then he went all biblical and said, oh, and, and he's going to burn in hell for doing that to you and and doing that with you. And he's such a sinner and he's going to go to hell. And the whole time I'm on the phone and I'm thinking, well, what about me? You're, you're condemning him. I was 50% of this, you know, this is my choice. This is what I'm going to do. If anybody's going to hell, it's going to be me. Um, and he didn't quite get that. And that was really, um, that good, it was, it was really painful, um, because he he still doesn't see how upsetting that was to me. He said, "Oh no, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about him."
2: Because in his mind, it all revolved <laughs> he did that around to the, me. Yeah. yeah, and it revolved around that guy's decision to not be there. Right,
0: right. And as um, if that's
2: the only decision that should enter into whether or not to keep a baby right. is is the husband going to stay?
0: Right, right. So, yeah, I don't know. So my dad and I didn't have such a good relationship for a little while after that but we've managed to patch things up um you kind of kind of have to at some point i guess when you don't have a lot of other family around um but yeah so that that was a real kind of pivotal moment where i i started going to another therapist which was i guess between the abortion and then i did the survey and that's when i started talking to you because that was the point where I was just feeling trapped and I just, I knew life wasn't going good. I had this shit job. I hated it. I had anxiety about it. I was, you know, up at night thinking about this job, Um, but I felt I had to keep it because I needed the paycheck, you know, and I just, I was just trapped and I hated it. Um, And that's when I filled out the survey and you and I started to correspond and you had suggested talking to people about it and of course you always, you know, advocate for therapy and talking to people in support groups and so I decided yeah it's time to find another therapist maybe you know that last one I didn't click with but this new one maybe I will and so I found a lady who I've been seeing since then so for about a year now and uh she's just amazing and it was with working working with her that I've really managed to overcome a lot of like negative thinking about myself um That was definitely the first thing that we started to work on was negative self-talk. You know, all the crap that you start thinking about in your head. Give me some
2: examples of of myths about yourself that you've dismissed.
0: Mm. So many. You know, I'm a worthless piece of shit. I can't do anything right. Um, You know, I'm hideous. I, you know, I, nobody's, nobody really cares about me. They're, they just feel bad for me. they they talk to me out of pity, you know, uh, they'll talk about me behind my back. I, I have a lot of problems with, um, you know, judgment from other people, you know, which is something I'm still working on, but, but I, you know, I'm an idiot. I always think I can't, I can't succeed. You know, it was a fluke that I graduated high school and I could never excel beyond that, you know, um, there's just so many things, you know, and I made a list. I made a huge list because she she told me, my therapist said, you know, make a list of, you know, the most common negative self-thoughts that you have. And I did and I, I was so proud of myself because I had like 50 things. I'm like, oh, I gave up after like five minutes because I just I had too big of a list already. And so uh, here's what I did in five minutes, you know, and she said, okay, now I want you to go back. And for every one of those, I want you to write something turn it into a positive, you know. So like one of the things that I'm really, you know, self-conscious about is I have stretch marks on my legs, you know, just from growing, I guess, you know. And uh, I, I don't like the way they look and they, I feel really ashamed about them. And so she said, you know, find a way to change that into a positive. Every time you think about that, change that into a positive. And so it was tough. but But what I did, you know, I said, instead of saying, oh, look at those you know, god-awful stretch marks, you look like a pig or whatever, um, <laughs> I would just change it to, you know, oh, stretch marks are perfectly natural and, you know, everybody has them. Not a big deal. And then the hard part was every time I had one of those negative thoughts was to replace it with a positive one. And, you know, through repetition, it just becomes the go-to, you know. The negative one gets shoved out of your brain and you just think of the positive thing when you see it. Um, so So I kind of put that strategy to work on all of those negative things that I would always think about myself. And uh, it it definitely has made a difference. Um, And I've gotten a lot more confident because of that. And another suggestion that the therapist gave me was to go back to school because I said, you know, I'm trapped in this job, can't stand it, can't picture, you know, retiring through this career. Um, what had you been doing? Uh, I worked for the post office. Okay. <laughs> um, I was a letter carrier in Minnesota for about nine years, and it's got to
2: be brutal in the winter.
0: It's brutal in the winter. It's brutal in the summer. There's dogs. There's politics. There's just awful management where I was. It was just torture to okay. be there, and I just I hated getting up in the morning because of that job. And so, so my therapist said, you know, what about school? You've never gone to college. Why haven't you gone to college? And I said, I don't think I'd. I'd do well, I I, wouldn't pass, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough energy, and she said, why are you really not doing it? And I said, because I'm afraid. She said, well,
1: you might, you
0: might want to try, you know, and and I thought about it some more, and um, I enrolled just over a year ago, so I'm on my, my second year now, and uh, it's what do awesome. You, what are you studying? Um, human services, actually, social work and human services, um working with people I'm taking a lot of courses about you know communication and the family dynamics and I'm learning so much about people which is just amazing and then I can you know put that against my life I can I can see everything that I'm learning and and compare it to my own life and go wow that's there's words for that stuff. <laughs> isn't that isn't that freeing? It it's is. It's so
2: comforting. When I when I read that article on co narcissism yeah. that Dr. Alan Rappaport wrote, I was like, Oh, there's a name for this. And even though I've been in therapy and support groups, hearing somebody, especially a mental health professional, nail it um so to see your life on a page and see that it it, it has a name a, a name and that you are reacting in the way most people
1: react. Yes,
0: yes. That's a huge part of it, too, is that you're reacting in a totally appropriate way when you think you're just off the wall and you realize, no, this is perfectly normal.
2: And I, I would imagine, too, I mean, does it ever occur to you that you started going to school before you started going to school, for this. You know what I mean? Well, that's
0: true. And I I do find myself saying that like I'm taking a sociology class right now and I find myself saying that all the time. Like I'm so fascinated by people. I've always been fascinated by people and how they work. You know, it goes back to my family when I was growing up. I always wanted to know why are they feeling this way? Why are they doing this? And what can I do to help? You know, that was always Mm -hmm. the bottom line is I wanted to keep the peace as much as I could.
2: So do you want to uh, be a social worker? Is that what you want to do? Um,
0: Well, my plan was to um, work with like a community services um, to like like at a food shelf, clothes closet, you know, help advocate for people and help um, connect them to the resources that they need. Um, But then it turned out, um, I don't know if it was because of the self-esteem that I got from going to school or just from um, getting better at Uh, you know, filling out reports or whatever. But I I applied again for a promotion at work that I got um, where so now I do payroll and I sit in a nice comfortable cubicle up in the cities and do payroll for the postal service. And it's just a completely new world. And it's amazing. And the people are so friendly. And it's such a great job that I I no longer really want to quit, you know, because I have I mean, come on, I work for the government. I have a great paycheck and I don't want to give that up. Um, so so my plan now is to continue on with school to get my two-year degree and then just continue volunteering because that's another thing that I've started doing uh, in about the last year or so. I was remember a getting your letter work, yeah. for,
2: from that and it just warmed my yeah. heart. I was like, I, I love when people discover the spirit lifting nature of volunteering it, Ta- talk about it really the, is. the arc of that for you what, sure. what made you want to do it and yeah well how did it go
0: i mean i've you know again i've always wanted to help people but i just you know i'm i'm not really an outgoing kind of person all the time and so uh the first volunteering that i did was actually um for minnesotans united for all families which is um a group that was helping to get I don't know if you know but on the Minnesota state ballot at the last election you know we had the the same sex marriage proposal and they wanted to restructure you know redefine marriage to be one man and one woman and blah 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 and so there was this group fighting against that um and they contacted me and said hey we see you, you gave money and would you help us you know we need some help doing data entry and I said yeah I could do that you know I don't have to talk to anybody I can just punch some numbers it'll be great um and I just loved it so much. I just loved the experience that I, you know, a week later I was out knocking on doors for them because I just love that group so much and I love what they do. Um, so so I volunteered with them a few times and uh, after the election was over, I did a, a volunteer at a Thanksgiving dinner at, for the community um, where I was just walking around taking photographs. But Was, it was, cool. was the
2: initiative defeated?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was defeated. We, we did a great job. It was... Um, I don't remember the exact numbers but more than half more than what we needed yeah. so yeah it was it was truly amazing I'm so glad that you, I was part of that
2: How did you feel when the decision
0: came Oh I was just, I was, just joyous. I was overjoyed I mean the whole election I was pretty overjoyed that that it turned out the way it was so um yeah it's just you know it's part of making history is what it was which you know you don't have that chance every day to contribute to something as big as that, you know? And it's not something that directly affects me even, but I see, you know, people that I love and people that I don't even know, and it's just, you know, it's common sense. But And uh, you know what?
2: I feel like it does directly affect us because the energy of having happier people around you, people who are feeling... The more people who feel accepted and not judged by society... I think you're gonna have less traffic accidents, I think you're gonna have less shootings, <laughs> less uh, robberies uh, you know the it sounds corny, but the you know the more love and acceptance, the better. how can that ever not make our lives better?
0: yeah, I think you're right i I see your point yeah, it's just positive energy all around, yeah. which it is a cool thing and i mean i' I feel like I've felt that in the last couple of years ever since the election. It's been yeah more much more positive um but yeah so so just doing yeah volunteer work is has been tremendous to me and uh recently I signed up to become a big sister so now I've been doing that which is an interesting turn after you know having an abortion and thinking oh, I I can't deal with kids but then I thought well I just don't really like infants but I guess you know older kids are okay I can handle them and um it's it's been really cool uh we've been paired together for about six months now I think I've got a little seven-year-old that I I see every couple weeks and we just have so much fun and we get to go out and like play. And I, you know, we went roller skating and, you know, I I get to go do all those fun kid things without looking like a creep because I have a kid with me, you know, it's, it's okay when I do it when I have a kid with me. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's really cool. And I I try to be a really good mentor to her because, you know, I feel like I do kind of have my shit together now, you know, I've always had some grasp on it, but especially lately, I just feel like, you know, I'm kind of in the zone. And so it's nice to be able to to pass that along to other people.
2: Is it a good feeling when you lock her in her room and you go get smokes?
0: <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. Maybe next time. Does it feel like victory? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, What's her name? Uh, her name is JoJo. Yeah, yeah, and she's she's just adorable. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm learning so much about you know what it takes to be a parent. I guess you know it's still not something that I think I want for myself, but th- my experiences have kind of made me shift to think, you know, maybe, maybe if the time was right, maybe I could, you know, and that's just kind of a neat feeling to think I could do that if I wanted to. Yeah. It's not something I'm used to thinking about myself, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Is there, is there anything else you'd like to share before we do uh, fears and loves?
0: Um, I feel like we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, things are good now. Okay. That's that's kind of the bottom line. <laughs>
2: I mean, I could really tell from, uh, you know, I think we've exchanged maybe five or six emails yeah. over the last year or two, yeah. and uh, I could just definitely see an arc in, in um, your mood directly yeah. <laughs> related to the actions you were taking it's to advocate for yourself.
0: And you know what else is interesting about the last year or so is that I've been single the whole time for yeah. the most part. I've gone on a few dates here and there, but I haven't been in any relationships, and uh You know, I think that speaks volumes to how how much time codependency can take up because I could never do all the stuff that I'm doing now if I was in a relationship. Um it's not that I'm not open to the idea. It's just it's nice to have other outlets for for all my giving that I want to do.
2: Yeah, you know, I like to think of it as a relationship doesn't make your life but it adds to your life.
0: Yeah. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, let's start off with fears. I'm going to be sure. reading the fears from the forum of a uh, person who calls themselves uh, Amy Coffee Face. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm afraid I will become my mother.
0: Okay. Um,. I'm afraid that I'll get a new aggressive terminal form of cancer as a result of the chemo and radiation that I had for my Hodgkin's. And instead of being a pessimist going into an optimistic situation, I'll be an optimist going into a pessimistic one. Wow. That's deep.
2: (laughs) That is deep. Uh, I'm afraid that my boys will suffer from all of my mental problems and that we won't have a good enough communication for me to help them.
0: Hmm. I'm afraid that I'll be further rejected by my parents for not taking care of them when their health continues to deteriorate, and they'll make me feel guilty for not reciprocating all the parenting that they provided me when I was a child.
2: (laughs) I'm afraid my husband will realize he is too good for me.
0: I'm afraid that if I alternately drink very hot and very cold things, my teeth will explode. (laughs) And I really am. (laughs)
2: That is awesome. Uh, I'm afraid that I won't be able to bite my tongue any longer regarding my son's stepmom.
0: I'm afraid that I'll be poked hard enough in my belly button that it opens up and my entrails spill out and I die instantly.
2: Uh, I'm afraid that I will keep gaining weight no matter what I do or eat. I have that same one. Yeah. Although I've never taken a serious attempt to (laughs) limit what I eat. But go ahead.
0: Well, why would you do that? Yeah, life's too short. Uh. I'm afraid of nighttime storms or fires where I'd have to flee my house only to realize that I'm standing naked in my front yard, surrounded by flashing lights, gawkers, and the media with only a freaked out cat trying to cover myself. That's why I don't ever sleep nude.
2: (laughs) When uh, my wife and I had moved here 20 years ago, a week before the Northridge quake hit, Mm -hmm. and um, we come spilling out of our house, and I'm in my underwear and don't have my glasses on, and it's in a courtyard where the entire, all these people we've never even met before, and I'm just standing there, literally. See, this is my what I'm underwear. Biggest fear. <laughs> and I said to my wife, "I don't care if I die going back in there. I have to get my pants and my glasses." <laughs> and it was terrifying to go back in oh, there I and bet. get them. Um, cause it was like going back into the jaws of the beast, but the thought of sitting there in my underwear in the <laughs> courtyard for another minute longer, uh, uh, it was, it was not fun. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: I am afraid that people will look at me and based, uh, off my weight, decide to not take me seriously as a person.
0: Uh, I'm afraid that people are only nice to me out of pity and that I'm a burden to everyone that I care for.
2: I'm terrified of getting, a car, getting in a car crash every time I'm driving with my boys. I'm so worried that someone will smash into us and that I will live and my boys won't. I bet a lot of parents have that fear. Yeah. That's got to be, especially for a control, a controlling person. Sure. Um, I think it's like when I made a list of reasons why to have or not have kids, that was a big one that it, it would just fill me with fear well, of... It's-
0: 24-7. I mean, you're, you're just yeah. consumed by trying to take care of these people, and then sometimes you don't even know where the hell they are. How can mm-hmm. you take care of them if they're gone? Oh, yeah. Uh, your turn. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that someone I love will suddenly die without realizing how much they mean to me.
2: I'm afraid that I will get some weird disease that no one has ever heard of and that I will die slowly from
0: it. Mm, I'm afraid of that, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm afraid that deep down, I only try to be a good person because I want other people to see me that way and say nice things about me at my funeral, and not because it makes me feel good to help others. I
2: think that same thing about myself. Yeah. Uh, and let's do uh, let's end on this last one of hers, okay. and we'll go to Love's. I'm afraid of blue whales and large bodies of water. When I'm swimming in a lake or ocean, I get the overwhelming feeling of something being below me and pulling me into the water. Oh. Uh, she's probably seen the movie jaws
0: yeah yeah
2: Uh, did did you have one more fear no no that's fine i'm
0: just thinking about that because i i went on a trip to hawaii a couple years ago and we actually were out snorkeling and there were some humpback whales like out in the distance and it was just amazing to be in the water near them but then at the same time yeah i was just terrified like one of them could just come right through and kill us all instantly (laughs) freakishly gigantic yeah
2: (laughs) um Amy writes, I love getting together with my friends and playing tabletop games. I love that, too.
0: Uh, I love that I started writing these lists in a hot bubble bath with a cold beer because I always <laughs> say I want to do that and I never do. <laughs>
2: That's great. I love when my eight-month-old sees me from across the room and he gets the biggest grin on
0: his face. Mm. Uh I love when I'm terrified of trying something, but somebody that I trust talks me into it and I end up loving the experience, whether it's a new food place or challenge.
2: That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, I love nursing my son. It gives me such a sense of peace.
0: I bet. Um, I love every scar on my body and the stories behind them.
2: That's great. <laughs> I love that one. I wish everybody could could feel yeah. that way, um, especially women that have... Uh, post-pregnancy uh, stretch marks yeah. you know i heard somebody write one time that there was it was something positive about it and i thought why you know why wouldn't you um look at your body and say I, you know i sacrificed to bring a human being you know into the world I, I i nurtured it and i and i fed it and i went through this pain and why would you turn that around and look at at your body with shame about it but I also totally get why you would do that because when I look at my gut in the mirror I'm just like oh you fucking pig. You lazy pig.
0: But you earned that gut.
2: That's true. (laughs) And that's the way you got
0: to look at it. (laughs) I
2: have been chipping away at a bag of Christmas cookies for the last two and a half months. (laughs) And uh, I want a little respect. And I like to think of my gut as the trophy I was awarded for that diligence. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, I love when my husband first walks in the door after getting home from work. He gives me a big goofy smile. It gets me every time. Mm,
0: Nice. Uh, This is a little long, but uh, I love being immersed in nature and feeling connected to it. One of my favorite memories from my stoner youth was the ritual of going into a county park with my friends and taking off our shoes and walking up and down the stream. Uh, Just being completely enveloped in the sensations of the moment, the sights, sounds, smells, and touch of nature.
2: I love that one. We used to go, um, I mean, I like nature regardless (laughs) of getting high. I still do
0: too. (laughs)
2: But that was uh, where we used to go get high. I lived on my... My house was right on the edge of a forest preserve, and it was yeah. just so much. It's just so easy to explore your imagination and to be active when you're a kid yeah. when you have when you have woods. And then when you start smoking weed, it's a great <laughs> great place to hide your bong. <laughs> um, she writes, I love listening to my five year old run around and come up with creative situations, and listening to him tell me all about his imaginary friends. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Uh I love feeling successful or proud of myself without instinctive, instinctively adding but afterwards.
2: <laughs> That's great. Uh I love taking care of my family, cooking, cleaning and always helping everyone. It gives me such a sense of peace and purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh I love the feeling of omnipotence that I get from saving the life of an insect, bird, small animal. Yes. Uh when I rescued a bird whose wing was trapped in my fence or when I shooed a mouse from my house rather than letting it be killed by my cats.
2: Uh I love like when I catch a moth or something in my yeah. hands and I and I take the time to walk outdoors right. and, and let it go. There are times too when I just smash it. Oh and for go sure. Fuck you it.
0: gotta do that once in a while too. Sorry, buddy,
2: <laughs> something good's on TV. You're going down. Uh I love my best friend. We don't live in the same state, but through texting, Facebook, and Skype, we are uh, still able to communicate daily. Sounds like you and your friend uh, Chris. My friend Chris, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, I love when somebody tells me that I inspire them or when I suspect it happening without them having to say so.
2: That's nice. Uh, I love laying in the grass and watching my son play at the park.
0: Uh, I love the anticipation of life.
2: I love the smell of fresh cut wood. Oh, I do too. Yeah. First time I walked into a wood shop in high school, it was like, oh, this is home. <laughs> Just that smell of sawdust. and yeah. oh, It was oh, like the
0: oh. new drug, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was. It was the new drug, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, this is my last one. Uh, I love that I've done more in 30 years than I would have expected to do in a lifetime and that I have no plans of slowing down.
2: Well, that's a perfect one to, uh, to end on. And um, Patty, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your your life and
0: uh thank you all your stuff with us <laughs> I appreciate you, it,
2: and thank you for being such a great supporter of the show
0: oh you're welcome absolutely
2: <laughs> many many thanks to uh to patty and i got an update from her um by the way we recorded that episode uh a little over two years ago and um yeah there there's really no rhyme or reason to uh when i air episodes Um, I wish I could explain it to you, but I just, I get a feeling when I'm like, this is this episode, this is the right time to air this episode. So anyway, um, a lot to catch up on. So um, I emailed her. And she said, uh, I assumed it would never air, so this is a bit of a shock, but of course I look forward to hearing it, Uh, or do I, and and then parentheses, laughs nervously. I've come a long way in two years, but I don't remember everything that we talked about. The job is still going great. I've been dating someone for one year who I am completely in love with. I graduated. I earned a two-year AS degree from a community college. I created my own degree called Family Communication, which was loosely based on social work and human services courses, and I graduated with a consistent 4.0 last summer. I was originally thinking of quitting my job at the post office to go into social work, but I really like my desk job there uh, now so much and have found ways to incorporate my desire to help others by creating materials, leading training classes, and mentoring new employees there. Also, my boyfriend is doing an amazing job of calming me down from freaking out about the airing of this episode. He's such a keeper. I've continued to see my therapist, though less frequently than before. One of our recurring themes is that I have too high of expectations from my parents and I should stop that, but that some part of me wants them to act like my parents so I struggle to let go of my expectations. I don't see them often and that's okay. Overall, I'm in a great place in my life, and I appreciate it daily. I use that appreciation to drive my altruism. I love giving back, whether by helping coworkers, friends, family, community, or strangers. I know what it's like to suffer, and I know it could happen again. If I can help even one person per day, it makes me appreciate lo- life even more. It's a beautiful, tragic mess, and we're all in it together. Boy, beautifully, beautifully put, and one of the reasons why I think Patty's episode is so important is she's such a great example of somebody who came from neglect and uh and abuse and uh did the work got got into therapy and um got into action volunteering and is trying to make the world a better place and she's she's fearing, feeling the spiritual results of um trying to make the world a, a better place and um uh, I just love seeing that. I love seeing that. Let's give some love to our uh, our sponsor for this episode. We are sponsored by Harry's, and they are uh, just a great producer of uh, shaving products. Um, I don't even go to the drugstore to buy shaving products anymore. It, it is ridiculous walking down the aisle to that locked case and standing there trying to get somebody to help you. They do come and help you. And for what? For blades that cost twice as much if you buy them online at Harry's. So you're sitting there and you're asking me, well, Paul, what makes Harry's special? Let me tell you, Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. Let me tell you about the quality. German-engineered, five-blade cartridges, close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burn, quality guaranteed, full refund if you're not happy. I have shaved with Harry's products, and they are great. Uh, Let me tell you about the price. Factory direct prices. Cut out the middleman, ships right to your door. They sell their blades, like I said, at half the price of the leading brand. And there's proof that over one million guys have made the switch and thousands more switch every day. So why pay 32 bucks for an 8 pack of blades when I mean, you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry's starter set is an amazing deal for just 15 bucks. You get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, which I love, and three razor blades. Harry's, by the way, doesn't like to discount because their prices are already Pretty low, but we worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you five bucks off your first order with promo code MentalPod. So stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H A R R Y S.com and enter code MentalPod at checkout. Let, uh, before we get to some surveys, I want to, uh, remind you that there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined. Go to our website, mentalpod.com, and you can make a one time, uh, PayPal donation or my favorite, uh, become a monthly donor, which means the world to me. It really helps keep the podcast going and you can do it for as little as five bucks a month. You can also, um, Use our Amazon. but uh, we, We've we posted them now on every page to make it easier for you guys to use our Amazon search portal. And that way, if you buy something after you enter through there, um, Amazon will give us um, a small percentage of it. And it doesn't cost you any more. It's the same price you'd pay um, otherwise. And you can also help us by spreading the word through social media about the podcast. That really helps. And give it, giving us a nice uh, rating on iTunes. All of those things help. Enough of my yakking. Let's get, boy, though, this didn't seem like that big of a stack of surveys. And now that I have them in my hand, this uh, this feels like Mount Everest. This is from the What Has Helped You um, survey. And this was filled out by a, oh, I remember her. Uh, she calls herself Fuck Bunny Librarian. And uh, she has experienced just almost too many things to 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 list ptsd uh childhood trauma depression anxiety love addiction anorexia self-harm um and what's helped her uh compassionate motherly therapists two best friends who won't give up on me a stepdad who inspires me with aa sayings and his unwavering support and my children who save me daily by giving me something to live for uh what if anything have you said and by the way uh, i 'm assuming that she doesn 't say that to her kids um, because that's a that 's you may think that, but uh, never say that to your kids because that puts a huge amount of pressure on them to uh, be concerned about your your feelings. Um, what have people said or done that has helped you with your issues one day at a time means you only have to get through today right now it 's become my mantra to help me through each day when I had made a plan to commit suicide. my two best friends drove an hour to my city to pick me up and bring me back to theirs. They fed me and held me as I cried and listened as I fell apart, building me back up in the process. They pulled together and gave me a bag uh, of food stuff, little treats for me and some gift cards to help me through a month without a paycheck. Their love and kindness not only saved me from killing myself that weekend, but it's been a reminder in the years since that I have two people in this world ready to drop everything to make sure I am still alive tomorrow. I'm so grateful for their love and support that I now feel like suicide isn't an option because it would hurt them too severely, and I would never want to hurt either one of them. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this is... I want to read this one. No, Let's save that for save that for another one. I'm all confused over here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to blame Herbert. By the way, his butthole is doing fantastic. We're thinking of actually um, trademarking his butthole, but we still haven't we, we haven't settled on a design yet. We're uh, we're having Maya Lin um, do some rough sketches. Is she the one I'm thinking of that did the Vietnam Wall? This is an awful-some moment. Um, No, I don't want to read that one. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I wanted to start with. This is um, an email I got from Kay, and she writes, I'm currently in a low place in regards to my depression and anxiety, pervasive sadness, emptiness, no motivation, fatigue, thoughts of death, and all the other wonderful effects of depression have been weighing me down quite heavily for the past several weeks. As a result, I'm currently jeopardizing the completion of my graduate degree on time, potentially extending my studies for another year while remaining employed only part-time and without health benefits. I've alienated myself from almost all of my friends, save one who I don't even want to see because I'm afraid I'll just break down in tears if she asks a simple, hey, how are you? I'm not in a good place right now. Earlier today, I came home. Uh, after running some errands, and my mom immediately called out my name as I entered the house. I recently moved back in with my parents to afford grad school. She found a note written by my 15-year-old brother. There wasn't a suicide note, but it detailed how unhappy he is. He said many of the kids at school hate him and talk shit behind his back. He knows he, quote, has it made. My mother and father have told all my siblings this at various points during our teenage years. And my brother acknowledges he does, quote, have it made, but he still hates himself and his life. Uh, There were other confusing statements that made me extremely concerned. My mom is worried and asked me what she should do. Um, My first thought is stop telling your fucking kids they got it made because material possessions have nothing to do with uh, somebody's emotional wealth. And um, in my opinion, any person that tells their kids they have it made proves that kid doesn't have it made because they're being told how shit, how they should feel. And, um, yeah, that just, that's just a really, that just really pisses me off. Um, but I understand she's probably coming from a place of ignorance. Um, so uh, Kay says, I told her uh, he needs to see a therapist and he needs uh, genuine, unconditional, non-judgmental support and love for my parents. Or at least I tried to say that, not sure if I was clear. I want so badly to help my brother and show him I care about him so much, but I'm afraid that I won't even be able to talk to him without breaking down. I wish I wasn't in such a bad place and I could be of more support. How should I help him? If I help myself first, I feel like I won't reach him in time. I think he needs help right now. And my thought, you know, I'm not a therapist, but again, I did once cook a uh, chicken pate uh, while we showed a movie starring Dom DeLuise, and uh, it's completely off base. Uh, my thought is there you don't have to have your shit together to reach out to another person. In fact, you crying and being vulnerable might help open up the floodgates for your little brother to feel safe enough to to get vulnerable and shed some of his own tears um but it sounds like he really needs it sounds like your mom though well-intentioned um doesn't have a lot of emotional intelligence and and it sounds like you you have a lot more than her so um i think reach out to your brother and and listen just listen to him and if you cry, you cry. He'll probably be touched by it. But that's just, that's my two cents. And it's beautiful that you care about him. He's lucky to have a sister like you. This is a struggle in a sentence uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself, Make Me Happy. And um, he he uh, lives with depression. And this is a snapshot from his life. He writes, I've been seeing a girl who insisted she still saw her ex-boyfriend. Uh, she kept reassuring me that they were still remaining friends and it took so much out of me to say that it was fine and that I trusted her. I felt I was being understanding and mature about it. Well, once I did this, her ex kept turning up to pick her up and take her out on his motorbike while I had to go to work. Even on Valentine's Day, I sat in my flat waiting for her to come back, but wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until 11 at night when she came back expecting me to be okay with it. So recently, I've had numerous conversations with her and she still reassures me that she wants to be with me and that they are only friends. After a while, I built my trust back up with her until I saw a Facebook message he wrote to her, some kind of joke they had between them saying, quote, you make mine hard, unquote. What it meant, I have no idea, but I decided to retaliate and built up anger and frustration. I said, why don't you just fuck off, you asshole? Now she won't talk to me and the ex is now flirting with her all over Facebook. I really don't know what I am doing wrong. I feel so worthless. I really tried for a relationship with this girl and the fact that her ex is still actively seeing her and she lets it happen has destroyed everything we had together. Am I being used or is she being indecisive? I have never felt so lost in a relationship. This one is pretty clear to me. Get out. Get out. Your girlfriend um, is incapable of real intimacy. She, it sounds to me like she has some type of a, uh, of intimacy issue, and the only way she feels safe is having multiple men uh, that want her, and you are not... You cannot change her. She has to want to change herself, and I doubt she wants to, to change because it doesn't sound like it. And um, She is only going to drag you down with her. She's only going to make you miserable. She will say... I, She is a uh, crackhead and male attention is her crack. And once you understand that, um, you will understand that you are an object to her and she's just sick. And, And I think there's also a sickness going on with you in that you think you don't deserve any better than this. So my advice would be, Break up with her, cut contact with her uh, because she is going to want uh one of her pieces of crack back, and she will I like that crack back, and she probably will contact you she probably will apologize. I see this all the time in my support groups, and um yeah, so um stay strong and if you find yourself unable to uh stay away from her go to some type of uh, support group for codependency or love addiction and um yeah that's that's my thought and and i think go start seeing a therapist or go to a support group um because you deserve better you absolutely deserve better This is a struggle in a sentence uh, filled out by uh, Jenny, and about her anxiety, she writes, I feel like I'm aware of everything that can go wrong all the time. About her PTSD, I'm an alien, an experiment put here to experience the worst possible things. Snapshot from her life, PTSD is a bitch. There are so many moments uh, where I freak out while everyone else is laughing. For example, that time I was at a movie theater to see the premiere of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, and the lights shut off, and dudes in ape costumes came from behind the aisles and started throwing t shirts and candy at the audience. Everyone was laughing and clapping. I was hysterically crying, shaking, and violently kicking the people who were trying to calm me down. I was 17. My life has basically been 10 years of intense trauma and then 21 years of overreactions like that. I'm so sorry you are experiencing that that sounds so so completely overwhelming and um i can tell you if anybody understands that it is the listeners of um of this show and maybe uh maybe check out the form and uh post on the pts link ptsd um link but uh, just remember you're not alone you're not alone with that um This was listed as an awfulsome moment, but I think it's a happy moment. And uh, this is uh, from a woman who calls herself Doodle or Doody. Doodle. I'm going to call you Doody. I was on my first out-of-town overnight trip with my boyfriend last summer. I was fine staying overnight at his house, but I've always had problems with panic attacks when sleeping somewhere far from home. I was worried I was going to have one on our trip, and sure enough, when we shut off the lights and got to bed the first night, I started having a panic attack. My heart was racing and I felt like I couldn't breathe, but tried to suck it up and act like nothing was wrong until it passed. Eventually, I began having tremors and he asked me if I was okay. I admitted that I was having a panic attack and explained that this happens to me sometimes. This was the first time I had a full-blown panic attack in front of him and I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what he would think. He asked me what he could do to help and cuddled me while I popped a clonopin and tried to go to sleep. Having that panic attack really sucked, but the rest of our weekend getaway was pretty great. It showed me I had nothing to worry about when it came to exposing my anxiety to my boyfriend, and that he would love me and support me, even if I had an anxiety disorder. That is so beautiful. I could have ended the, the, the surveys on that one. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself RJ. He's straight, he's in his 20s, he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, he's never been sexually abused, not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. His darkest thoughts, I have an overwhelming desire to slit my throat. I know that there are easier, quicker, and less painful ways to off myself, but I want to drag a knife across my neck and sever the connection between my head and body darkest secrets my parents are first cousins um and in parentheses accepted kind of in my home country taboo or illegal everywhere i've actually lived uh, i feel like earth's trash because i don't think anyone can understand or even listen uh sexual fantasy is most powerful to you i feel so much dislike for myself i can't imagine anyone liking me what liking me uh Liking me, so watch porn, so much porn. I think there's a typo in there. I feel like they love me, but I feel like absolute shit after I masturbate. I can't win. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I tell my parents for being such hypercritical assholes. Stop being the embodiment of every Asian parent stereotype. Love is not just paying for things and making dinner. Boy, that is a great sentence love is not just paying for things and making dinner we got a t-shirt we have a t-shirt what if anything do you wish for for a reset button to appear have you shared these things with others no i cannot share anything with anyone i think i should get an oscar for putting on the act that i do how do you feel after writing these things down why did i do this i don't know what i achieved i feel like a whiny baby you are so not a whiny baby rj you're experiencing overwhelming emotion and you are trying to cope with it by uh, watching pornography. And it is not, it, it may be a coping mechanism for about 15 minutes and then you're down in an even more painful place than you were um, before then. And you need help. You need help and there's no shame in that. But it sounds like your parents don't understand uh, mental illness. So I wouldn't go to them with this i would go on your own you're in your 20s i would seek a support group for um sex addiction and it can change your life my two cents this is filled out by Zena, and about her ocd she writes tick disorder i'm like a robot with a wet circuit board about her ptsd someone's channel surfing horror flicks and i'm the only one watching boy that's a good one snapshot from her life. I took Adderall one semester in college. I spent all my time outside class and work sitting in my dorm closet. I ate bananas and laxatives and read religious texts and nutrition articles until finally I concluded that all food was plastic except for bananas and converted to atheism three weeks before my final semester at a Christian university. Oh my god. You cannot make some of this stuff up that that is that is one of the uh most vivid painted pictures i think i've i've read in doing these um these surveys thank you thank you for that zena This is a happy moment filled out by Flower Pixie, and she writes, Several weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me some hydrangea flowers, which are flowers that get their beautiful colors from living in very acidic soil. In the note, he said, they represented perseverance, and he hoped that I could learn to grow despite the soil as well. The instructions for the flowers said to make sure the soil never gets completely dry, but I didn't want to overwater them either, so I didn't water them that much. A few days later, they were wilted and droopy. I nearly sent my friend a message saying, not to cause you to lose all hope, but the flowers are already dead. Instead, I dumped a cup of water in the pot for one last-ditch effort to save them. The next day, they came back to life and were a brilliant color blue, very open and bloomed. I almost cried. Now, every time I look at those flowers, I feel a little less alone. They give me hope that even when things seem like they will never get better, you never know what can happen. Those flowers have given me so much happiness. God, there's another one I could have ended the podcast on. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a, a 15 year old, uh, kid. He calls himself that one guy you vaguely remember from school. Um, he's straight. He is, uh, being raised in a stable and safe, uh, environment. Uh, He's never been sexually abused, never been physically or emotionally, Uh, darkest thoughts. I think about how I would commit suicide multiple times a day in slow motion and in as much detail as possible. I think about how cold the barrel of the revolver would feel on my lips. I think about tasting the gun oil from the last time it was cleaned. I think about how it would feel to pull the trigger and feel the resistance as the hammer cocks, then feeling the resistance gives. Um, way as the hammer falls. I think about the damage the bullet would do to the roof of my mouth and the damage it would do as it exits through the top of my head. This sounds so gruesome now that I've finally written it down. Darkest Secrets. This isn't really that dark, but I feel really guilty about it. I once shot out a neighbor's window with an air rifle and blamed it on my cousin. My parents never found out it wasn't me. Uh, found out it wasn't me and my My parents never found out. I think he meant to say it was me. He wrote, it wasn't me. And my cousin doesn't know I blamed him. So maybe it turned out all right, question mark. Uh, Dude, if that's the worst, uh, darkest secret you got, um, you're doing okay. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to apologize to my cousin for blaming him for something he didn't do and so I can finally take responsibility for my mistake. I can't tell him because he doesn't know and I don't want to damage our relationship and I'm afraid my parents would lose their trust in me if I told them I'd been lying for years. I don't think so. I think if you came forward, um, I think both both of them would understand. Um, There are very, very few people in the world that turn their nose up in an apology. It's a it's a beautiful energy to to come to people with. I'm so uncomfortable. I said a beautiful energy. What, if anything, do you wish for? One thing I really want is to be able to feel happy or sorry for other people when they give me good or bad news. It gets really awkward when your cousin announces she's pregnant and everyone else is congratulating her and you just don't know what to do or say. Have you shared these things with others? I haven't shared these thoughts with anyone else. Like I said, I'm afraid I would lose my family members' trust. Some of the other things, like fantasizing about my suicide, I just don't think I have anyone close enough to me that I can talk about it with. You know, you put that you were raised in a stable or being raised in a stable and safe environment. The fact that you don't feel safe um, or that your family members' trust in you would go away if you shared your pain with them, that's not a stable and safe environment. It's just not, Um, and I think it would really be good um, to talk to somebody, maybe a school counselor. Um, I mean, maybe your parents. I don't know. I don't know your parents, so I don't know how they would react, but don't keep all this stuff in. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? Well, my hands are shaking if that means anything. I feel like my thoughts are more gruesome than I originally thought and that maybe I don't need to be ashamed of these things, but I think I need to talk to someone about them. I heartily, heartily agree. And uh, buddy, I am just picture, just picture me and a bunch of listeners giving you a big group hug and telling you that you're not alone and you sound like a really sweet kid who's just feeling a lot of normal emotions and you haven't found a way to channel those emotions out yet and um, you are okay. You are okay. You are not a freak. Um, It just, we all need a steam valve. We all need a, a, a place to release the steam. And I think your hands shaking was you feeling yourself start to let some of that steam out. Um, But sending you lots of love, buddy. Hang in there. Hang in there. This is an awful, uh, awfulsome moment filled out by Kitty. And she writes, I had never attended therapy for my experiences of sexual assault. After years of avoiding it, I finally decided to attend a group therapy session uh, at the Sexual Assault Support Center near me this past December. There were only three people in the group, one of which was my ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend. When I walked in, she turned around and saw me and said, oh, I wondered if I'd run into you here. That is so fucked up on so many levels. That, wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is, uh, that's 99% awful. Uh, I'm not even sure there's a 0.001% of awesome in that, um, but I get why why you would uh, want to laugh at that. This is a happy moment filled out by Sleepatron, and uh, she writes uh, her happy moment laying on the couch in a, in a blanket burrito with my partner watching the West Wing. I am warm, calm, and comfortable. I'm entirely in the moment and not worrying at all about my past or future. I'm watching the vivid orange and pink sunset outside the window behind our TV more than the show itself, and it's casting a warm, waning light into our living room through the dead trees. I'm not overjoyed or anything, but I feel deeply content and safe. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is filled out by a uh, trans, let's see how old they are, trans teenager. uh, They're pansexual, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, What gender are you? Uh, I wish I didn't have to be a girl, please call me they. Have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I think it is just the normal kind of thing that happens to women. Not that it makes it okay, but the memory scares me very much. I was 12 years old riding my bicycle around my neighborhood. Three boys, two of them much older than me, started following me around in a golf cart, laughing at me, saying sexual things, and making remarks about my body. I didn't let them catch up with me, though, by making sharp turns and hiding, but they kept looking for me for hours, jeering. One of the boys, who was my age, had groped me when I was 10 years old. I don't think he really knew what he was doing then. I'm sorry you experienced that. It must have been terrifying. They've never been physically abused. Uh, They've been emotionally abused. Uh, I was bullied throughout elementary school by students and a teacher. Does abuse of religious power to make a child feel like they have to be weak and servile to fulfill their God-given purpose count? Uh, Yes. (laughs) To humiliate that child whenever they do something masculine? Uh, Yes. To teach them to feel like it's wrong to be clever or loud or opinionated or angry? Uh, I would say wrong. Yeah, that might be too harsh, maybe impolite, uh, that it's something their fault if they are raped. Oh, my God. If you've been abused, are there any positive moments uh, with the abusers? I had good experiences at that church growing up. They are genuinely kind people, most of them, just like everyone else, just a little lost. Their only problem is that they think they are found. Darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed to admit that I think a lot about what it would be like if I were not born a woman. In this binary society in which we live, that means a man, but I don't particularly want to be a man. I just want to be free of this infliction that is female. I know it doesn't sound feminist. I consider myself feminist, but I have a long way to go, I guessed, or maybe I'm agender. I also think about suicide, but I have no intention of acting on it. I don't think that makes you uh, anti-feminist um, to to feel that your, um, your soul and your body aren't um, matching up at it, it all. Um, you're being way too hard on yourself. Uh, darkest secrets. I used to self-harm. I cut the word bad into my thigh, but mostly I bruised my arm. I miss doing it, even though I don't need to, need to anymore. When I was 14, I had cyber sex with random older men. I told them my age, and they were really pleased. Now I feel disgusted with myself. Uh, I can understand why you feel disgusted, but they... they they should be the ones who, who are ashamed. Um, let's see. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would say to pretty much anyone I know, all my words come back to me in shades of mediocrity like emptiness and harmony. I need someone to comfort me. Oh. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for this to pass away more quickly. I know that I'm not supposed to wish for my chronic pain to cease, so I won't wish for that. I wish that my boyfriend would look at me and see a human being, not an angel. Have you shared these things with others? Some with the therapist, which went well. A few with my mother, which went horribly. How do you feel after writing these things down at peace? What would you like to share with someone else who shares your thoughts or experiences? This too shall pass. Any comments to make the the podcast better? Go fuck yourself. Uh, To which I respond with the tip of the hat and uh, say, I think I shall. But I can't do that right now as I am mid-survey. Very difficult to fuck oneself mid-survey. But I do do thank thee uh, for your interest in my self-fuckery. This is a happy moment filled out by Ashley, and uh, she writes, I went to a pride parade the day after same-sex marriage became legal in all 50 states. Everyone was so happy and nice to everyone. The police department came through walking with their partners, and everyone was crying and laughing. A woman was there dressed as a unicorn, and she was hugging everyone. I have never felt such a strong sense of community and happiness and the feeling that people are good and full of love. I'm going to be completely honest. You had me until unicorn. And then uh and then I hailed a cab. I I think this is one of the least judgmental spaces. Uh and I'm going to judge somebody dressed as a unicorn. There. I'm going to judge them just cuz it makes, you know why? Cuz it's so it's so vulnerable it's so there there's it's so guileless that it somebody dressing as a unicorn feels like to me like leaving a newborn baby on a railroad track it's just there's just too much tension that somebody's going to push it down or kick it not the baby the 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 unicorn um I don't know, that just makes me, it makes me so tense. The thought of somebody dressed as a unicorn. Oh my God. We found my Achilles heel. This is uh, from my first th- day in therapy uh, survey. This is filled out by a woman. Uh, she's between 18 and 25. What brought you to therapy? Hospitalizations for suicide uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, nightmares, and insomnia. I guess you could also add my alcohol problem. Fears associated with starting therapy. I was afraid of being judged. I thought no one would want to listen to my issues and think I was boring. I was afraid the therapist would just ignore my cries for help. I was so scared that they would tell my mom the things I told them. Did any of your fears come true? None of my fears came true. Thank God! Exclamation point. What worked best for you in therapy? The things that worked the best for me were the fact that I could just talk my therapist's ear off and she actually wanted to listen and hear what I said. Also being understood by someone and having them explain sometimes why I would feel a certain way. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? Um, That she was a stuck-up blonde bimbo who fucked her way through college and that's how she got where she is today. My therapist never did anything unsettling, but my psychiatrist did. My psychiatrist questioned me on being raped and said that she didn't believe me. She should be, she should have her fucking license revoked. She should, ha- she should, you should report her. That is fucking criminal. Do you feel that you can be completely honest uh, with your therapist? I do. Uh, I feel this was because she somehow relates to how I feel and helps me understand why people may be acting a certain way towards me. Also, she's a very kind and caring woman who actually enjoys her job. Um, Any suggestions to a new group of therapists? I would suggest... Uh, you become conscious of your nonverbal uh, nonverbals and body language the way you sit in the chair or pace in the room can make someone uneasy I feel every therapist should just actually care and want to understand their clients um, I've never heard of a therapist pacing in a room That that's disconcerting thank you for, for sharing that and I'm glad you found a good therapist and I hope uh, that fucking psychiatrist Goes out of business. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself fraud shell of a human. I'm a fan already. You had me at fraud. Uh, AP English exam, senior year in high school. I realize, with five minutes left, I have written my essay on the wrong topic. I start frantically erasing panic. The, to- the tornado in the pit of my stomach shoots through my limbs with overwhelming quickness. No part of my body is safe. I simultaneously go blind and experience the most powerful orgasm of my life. Eyes shut, body shuddering, making every effort to be silent, white knuckles clutching my front row desk, all while surrounded by the peers I've tried so hard to be invisible to for the past four years. I've never felt less open to sexual sensation. It's the most disoriented I've ever been. Anxiety, the next time you decide to go down on me, let's at least agree that you'll get me to a private location first.
1: Hmm.
2: Wow, I have never heard of that. That is if I saw that in a movie, I would be like, there's no way. This is I go to this next one. Uh, this one's uh, a bit graphic. This is a shame and secret survey. And this was filled out by um, a woman who calls herself uh, Faded Rose. She's uh, she's from Brazil. She's bisexual. Uh, she's in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, she was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She writes, I was sexually abused by my volleyball coach um, at the ages of 10 to 14. Since I grew up in a fatherless home, he was my main role model and we were very close. The abuse went really fast from inappropriate touches on my breasts and legs to vaginal slash anal rape. He also loved taking photos of me naked and covered with his sperm, uh, what made me feel like, sh- like shit. I've never thought of it as sexual abuse because he was a person I loved and cared for. When I finally admitted it, my world fell apart. I began to have a lot of PTSD reactions and suicidal thoughts. I'll never forgive me for what happened because I was old enough to do something, but instead of going away screaming, I just let him do whatever the hell he wanted so at least I, I'd be with him. I feel like I have sold myself for love. Um, what you thought was love that he was showing, was um, grooming. That is how the that predator gets what they want. And you had no part in that. You were a child, and he took advantage of the fact that you had a child's brain, and he has an adult's brain, and he could sense in you that there was a void, that you grew up in a fatherless home, and you should not feel at all All, not one sliver of shame for what happened to you. Um, Any positive experiences with the abusers? He was so loving and caring. I used to see him as a father who protected me from everything except from him, I've just realized. The worst part is that I still love him for all the good moments we had when we weren't having sex. And you know the biggest mind fuck for people who have been abused by somebody in a position of authority or a caregiver is that there are still those moments and you wonder, were those fake? That, there are so many ripples from sexual trauma and that is one of the worst ones. You know, I wonder that all the time about my relationship with my mom, you know? So if if the stuff that was done was, if I couldn't see that that was abuse, am I misreading every other thing? That happened where is the truth and i remember when that realization hit me i felt just untethered is the best word i can use to describe it and i get the feeling um, that you are feeling really untethered right now and just know that 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 is okay that that's a part of healing um darkest thoughts. I'd like to kill myself in a way that creates a horror story scenario so my mother would be forced to see my misery painted on the walls and floor. It's like a revenge for all those things she made sure to ignore darkest secrets. I fucking love my female therapist. She's the only one I want to be close to. I know it's kind of a mother transference issue, but I can't keep myself from feeling it. I attempted suicide twice, and in both cases, part of the reason was a need to get her attention, even if I would never admit it out loud. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very brave thing to um, to share. Um, I've had a couple of uh, therapists that I had sexual feelings for, and, and maternal like i like wanted them to be my mom and and i shared it with them and uh and they were it was no big deal you know they've heard it all i've uh, seen it all um you might share that you might share that with your therapist it might be fruitful um for for you to um even uncover some more stuff and some more feelings and to feel more trust in your relationship with her uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, being raped and laughed at, being treated like a piece of shit It makes me feel like I enjoyed what happened even after everything I heard on your podcast about it then then i won't i won't get up on my soapbox um about about that. you know that that's your brain's way of coping. Anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my mom, how could you ignore everything that was happening in front of you? All those days I came home with blood on my pants. Did you think it was normal? To my abuser, I hate to admit it, but I am so much like you. I'm a little piece of shit and I disgust every inch of my body. It's like you are still inside me all the time. To my therapist, I'm so fucking broken, but I'm not going to tell you about it because I don't want to infect you with a monster inside of me that breaks my heart please tell your therapist print this out and bring it in and read it to your therapist she will understand she will understand if she's as good of a therapist as you've described um as you know i'm not a professional but that's my that's my thought on it you deserve to be fully known and fully accept it. You deserve it, and you are not a piece of shit, and you are not disgusting. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish everyone uh, would stop loving me so I could commit suicide without causing so much pain to others. Well, we don't want you to, so uh, we win. Fuck you. Have you shared these things with others? I've told two friends I was sexually abused, but in a joking way because I didn't want them to feel pity how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like a disgusting attention-seeking. And then that's the end of the sentence. And that's how all survivors feel. That's normal. That is what you are experiencing is a normal brain processing abnormal shit that happened to you. What, if anything, would you like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Every time I start to beat myself up for what happened to me, I look at my younger sisters, 9 and 14 years old, and then I realize they are not ready to cope with the kinds of things I suppose I had to. They are children and need protection and love, the same way my younger self did. Good for you. Good for you. Never forget that. And thank you for listening. Uh, I'm so... Touched when uh I hear from listeners far away from from the States. This is um filled out by a guy who calls himself Midnight Marauder. This is a struggle in a sentence and about his anxiety. He writes, every interaction is nerve-wracking. Like I, have to, like I have to put on my human suit for the day, and I'm worried it's gonna fall off. Oh, that is fantastic. Snapshot from his life. I just missed a concert for one of my favorite bands because I didn't want to be seen in public. It's so painful to be around people sometimes. I know I'm going to analyze every word I say after I speak and criticize myself. I have no idea what that's like. (laughs) Oh, dude, I so relate to that. That feeling when socializing just feels like sandpaper. Oh, it's the worst. This is an awful moment filled out by Regina Flange, and uh, she writes, I was pulled over by the cops a while back for speeding. Two cops came out after looking up my driving history. They commented that I needed to be careful because it didn't look good, and I may soon lose my license. I have a tendency to respond to awkward situations without thinking first. I replied with, I think I need my bottom smacked. (laughs) They threw my ticket at me and drove off quickly. Oh, well, that's a good way to get rid of them. <laughs> um, this is from the What Has Helped You, and I just thought this was so beautiful. Um, this is filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Gal Pal. She's in her 20s, and um, she's experienced a lot of shit. And um, cutting is is one of her issues, and also anxiety and depression. And uh, what if people said or done that has helped you? And she writes, my dad has helped me a lot. I think a lot more than he realizes. I texted him one day when I wasn't doing well, and I just said, dad, I'm really struggling or something like that, but longer. Because I just realized, shit, he had no idea what's going on with me. And what if this goes really bad, and I end up in the hospital or something, and that's the first he's hearing about it? I didn't know what to expect, though, but he was so kind. He called me right away, and he just said, Oh, no, just quietly into the phone as I cried. And he was so calm, and it was everything I needed. He just said, You always try to do everything on your own, and you don't have to. And now we talk more regularly. He made me feel like he actually was happy I had called, and like it made him feel special. He's the only person who I don't feel like I'm draining by being so messed up. That is so beautiful. And I'm sorry you're struggling, but that connection that you have with your dad is so special and beautiful. And doing this podcast, I so rarely get to read it and see it. And when I do, I'm just reminded that there are parents out there Who don't make it about them who can just listen and and be there and thank you for that and then finally this is a happy moment filled out by tsuga uh, and uh, she writes in high school i was in the pits of depression during one summer i was kind of drafting suicide plans but still hemming and hawing i'd been volunteering at an animal shelter One weekend, there was a new cat in the mix. I figured I'd introduce myself, and if he swatted and hissed, I'd slowly distance myself. His kennel was marked that he was aggressive. I opened the kennel and I said hi. He climbed out and wrapped his paws around my neck, purring and refused to let go for the duration of my shift. He would periodically hug me tighter and lick my face. Ultimately, he wormed his way into my heart and I said, fuck it, and adopted him. Ultimately, I scrapped those plans to kill myself. He could not live without me. Every day, I come home from school. He walks up to me like a toddler and begs for hugs. <laughs> Holy shit, come on. Said it get any better than that? And I don't even like cats. I like cats. But I'm a dog person. I don't want to go into it. A- Hacky bit about the differences between dogs and cats, but thank you for that. That's, um, thank you guys for all your surveys. Thank you, Patty, for a great interview. Thank you to our sponsors for, uh, doing this. Thank you to the donors and especially the monthly donors. And, uh, if you're out there and you're, and you're struggling, I hope this last, uh, two hours has, um, reminded you that, um, you don't ever have to be alone with this. There's always somebody who will understand, who will listen. We may not find them on the first attempt, maybe even the second, third, or fourth attempt, but we will, if we keep looking, we keep seeking, we will find them, and we can find um, some peace in this life. And uh, that I know, and I know for sure. And um, hang in there. Thanks for listening.
1: Everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful everybody fucked, everybody up I know everybody fucked up in some weird way is bizarrely beautifully everybody. fucked up in some weird way.